In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is Ryan Bailey. This is your Thursday episode. And folks, we have a whopper of an episode. That uh, whopper of an episode means big. Also, real quick thoughts. Uh, I was just on Twitter right before this. If you say in your tweet, hot take, I can guarantee you it's usually not a hot take. If you tell somebody you have a hot take, it's not a hot take. Uh, Also, I want to say a little bit of a positive thing before I get to a bunch of negative things about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills uh, tonight. There is a beautiful show on Netflix, a reality show called Love on the Spectrum. They just um, released their second season, and I just think it is a gorgeous show. It's, It's good to get a palate cleanser reality show in there when you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and all of these ladies fighting over wealth and 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 crimes and all of this stuff. It's so nice to watch a show about um, uh, young adults on the spectrum trying to find love. It's very, very simple. And these people have the biggest hearts ever. And you see that there is just this common thread between all humans and love. It doesn't matter if you're on the spectrum, if you're me, if you're you. I just think it's a gorgeous show. And there's a character named Michael who is back this season who his one 
his one true want in life is to to be a husband. And I'm like, dude, I mean, but honestly, it's it's you just it makes your heart swell up when you watch this show, or at least it does mine. It actually made me realize I have a heart, which is nice. How are you guys doing? Are you good? I, I, I'm not going to apologize to you for today because it's a great show, but it's, it's going to be lengthy. I used to do lengthy. This is a lengthy show. And I know you're like, Ryan, you released three podcasts already this week. Watch what crap and Sophie Ross. Uh, and then today the director or yesterday, the uh, directors of Lula rich on Amazon prime. Like I said, you don't have to listen to all of these. You can save them for the weekend. But there's a reason why I wanted it to be this long, because I wanted to give you comedy, somebody that is going to make you laugh, make you think, and then I wanted to give a little bit of intensity, uh, and somebody that is involved with Erica Jane and the uh, the, the Erica Jane Tom Girardi case, especially because Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is so prescient on all of our minds. Uh, and by the way, Friday I will be doing my recap, and I'm already dreading tomorrow how much intensity i already have in me i just need to get it out i have i mean rinna uh, going for garcelle at that tape own it garcelle own it i'm already i was <laughs> just watching these show i mean but it there i it took me like three hours to take notes because some of that dialogue at the dinner table between erica and sutton of like you know uh, i'm not afraid of you i say i'll say Fine, good, dummies can to me. Like, it is it is better than a play. Like, it is so good and on top of each other. So, Friday, of course, you guys will be getting the recap. Uh, it, it, I think it might kill me. That's how much passion I'm going to put into it on Friday. So, please come back on Friday. Thank you, guys. I don't check the charts, but Sandra, uh, who who has been booking the show, uh, doing an amazing job of it, um, she she texted me to let me know that, that we hit uh, top 30. Because of you guys. And I had three, three, the three shows this week were in the top 100, I think, of, of, of shows. Like, damn, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Like that, I, my mom's not going to make me move in with them. Because if I, she said, if you can get five shows in the top 100 this week, I will not make you move in with me and your father again. So thank you guys for getting me 60% of the way there. Uh, we're just going to get, I think, right into it. Is there anything else that I want to say? Uh, oh, yeah. Join the Facebook group. I was re reminded to join the Facebook group. I try to get in there a little bit and I notice people are actually posting and we're a small but mighty group. And if you're nice, you can be jerk about Lisa Rinna and, and reality stars. You can't be a jerk to each other. And that's usually my problem with Facebook's groups anyways. It usually kind of falls into some kind of jerkery. But if, if you're if you're if you're wanting to to be a part of this this small but mighty movement, uh, join the So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey Facebook group. Um, and it seems like people are having a good time, you know, like I said, small, but mighty, come on, come on down and join. Uh, I'm talking to somebody in the morning tomorrow that I'm very nervous to, to talk to. And I'm very excited for you guys to hear that next week. So tell your friends to subscribe. You guys subscribe. Let's keep this going. I, I, uh, I do need to tell you, I think I might do this as a Patreon episode because I almost had a run in with Kathy Hilton last night and I ended up having a run-in with Bronwyn Windenburg and her husband, Sean Windenburg. Yes, still her husband. And I, I need to tell you guys all about that, but I'm not going to do that right now. Maybe I'll do that in a Patreon episode. Hello, baddies. Um, because I have thoughts. I have thoughts. And I always want to be real with you guys. Uh, that's a very that's very important to me. Um, so I do have thoughts. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was very interesting. Um, you guys, okay, so our second guest is somebody that I think uh, is potentially a controversial figure to some of you guys, uh, but he was a guest that I needed to talk to. Um, I had the opportunity, and of course I was going to take it, uh, because I am fascinated with this case. I'm trying to figure it out. Like I said to our guest, I'm a layman. I, I ask um, not stupid questions, but questions that I I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand the law. I'm trying to figure this out. His name is Ronald Richards, guys. He's a practicing attorney in Los Angeles and D.C., uh, former NBC News legal analyst. Uh, you can find his Twitter at Ronald Richards, at Ronald Richards. He is uh, a special counsel for the Girardi uh, Keys case, but specifically for Erica Jane and trying to collect money. And we talk all about this $25 million. Uh, some of this information you might have heard of before, but I found it um, I found it really fascinating. Uh, uh, he seems to be very passionate about this, um, and he seems to be very kind of of a one-track mind of trying to collect money. Now, I am talking to other people involved in this that are going to be able to explain this even further to me. I know Emily D. Baker, who so many of you guys have asked to come on, is uh, going to come on. And uh, there are other people that I've talked with in regards to, you know, even people that have worked for Girardi Keys that I want to give uh, uh, time to on the podcast eventually. So th this was somebody that I wanted to speak with. You guys can make up your own mind, uh, but it seems like he is pretty much of a one track mind of trying to collect this money. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting to get his point of view on all of this. He he's very passionate. So that's our second interview. And then our first interview, we are going to start with somebody that I, um, I personally, I, I talk about this in the intro with him right in front of me, but he is just, uh, he's always been a hero of mine on Twitter. There are just per certain people that can use words, that can write words, uh, that are just very laser-like in focus and so smart. And there's an Oscar Wilde quality about Lewis. Um, and I think he would probably blush me saying that. Just, I don't know. I just love that I interviewed him over Zoom and I never used the video. And then he say, tweeted afterwards, he said... I, it's, it's, it was something like, I, I think I was, I'm just startled because I had to just look at myself for an hour over Zoom and I'm star startled. And I just wrote back, I'm sorry, Lewis. But it was just so worth it to be able to talk to people that I've so long admired. And we just had such a, I, I, I think, a delightful conversation about all these housewives. He's just so damn smart. Uh, God, I sound like Forrest Gump when uh, he's at Jenny's uh, funeral and he's talking about little Forrest. He's like, he's just so smart, Jenny. You'd love him so much. Didn't think I'd go there today. Anyways, uh, his name is Lewis Peitzman, you guys. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. I'll put his uh, at name on the show description. But he was even telling me a couple things that he is doing that I will advertise as soon as I get the word that it's okay to let you guys know in our stories. But he is somebody that is always... Uh, you got to go follow him. You got to go read his writing. He just did an article for Vulture for Brian Moylan's thing. He's just, I, I just can't say enough good things about him. So our first guest, Lewis Peitzman. And then after that, we're going to go directly into Ronald Richards. This is a two for Thursday. And remember to use the timestamps if you want to skip right to Lewis, if you want to skip right to Ronald. But um, don't listen to all the, the all this at once. Just uh, break this up. Maybe even you know save some for the weekend. And I will uh, I'll talk to you guys on Friday for the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills solo recap extravaganza. Yeah, baby. Bye, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, I use this podcast to meet people that I want to meet, and that is the only really great use of this podcast. And there is somebody on Twitter that I have been enamored with for years, and I'm sure he gets this all the time, but I really do consider this man a genius, not only in his opinions of Bravo, that would actually be short-sighting him. His writing is just so top-notch. He just knows everything about everything. I mean, even going into horror, Stephen King, I mean, just I, I just will read his Twitter at uh, on a daily basis and just shake my head and like, Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And he's able to communicate it in words so efficiently and funny and all of that good stuff. So I, of course, had uh, Sandra reach out to him because I was too nervous to do it myself. And one of the best moments in my life was when he followed me back on Twitter because I'm obviously a 16-year-old girl. So uh, without further ado, Louis Peitzman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That was an incredible intro. That was far too kind. I mean, every word of it. Like, I, I've known you for years. Like, I, years. I really appreciate that. I'm going to, uh, I'm sipping my iced tea that I made, <laughs> and I'm going to process that because I'm learning, <laughs> learning yeah. to take compliments and like, you know, and really like take them <laughs> in and not reject them. So I will, I'll well, believe <laughs> Believe me, I only really dig the people that hate me. And I'm like, you, you get it. You get what you get me. Yeah. Um, There's breaking news. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we just got breaking news that Kyle Richards is on a private jet with Teddy Mellencamp right now on their way to Vegas to see Teddy Mellencamp's father, John Mellencamp. Now, where, where do you stand in the Teddy (laughs) Mellencamp discourse is there discourse about Teddy Mellencamp? I, feel I don't. Like- I, I hope there isn't. I'm just. I'm hoping you said there isn't because I don't want there to be. Yet I don't know why Kyle keeps doing this. There's so little to say about Teddy. I really, you know, I think, I, you know, good for them for being friends. I never want to hear about it or see it on my TV. I'm so sorry to start this off like that. No, it's, you know, it happens. You know, you, you're you're innocently like minding your business, and and Teddy Mellencamp pops. Up. It's a classic story. Um, no, I mean, good for them. I, um, I'm glad that Kyle got over her, like her fear of flying because I really, you know, related to her when Beverly Hills started, cause I'm terrified of flying. And, you know, I was like, I, this, she's neurotic. She's like a hypochondriac. She can't fly without freaking out. This is so me. Um, but she's now getting on, you know, private planes all the time. I would never get on a private plane. I would, that's never going to happen. No, and that's why you you'll probably never hang out with Randall Emmett either, because they would try to throw you on a private really plane. The, the only reason that I won't hang out with Randall is that like I <laughs> if a plane's gonna crash, it'll be a private one. You know, it's just like those are the ones that still crash. So um I'm good. Uh but good, <laughs> good to, I'm glad I'm glad to be updated on Teddy. I'd rather be updated on Teddy by you than like by an episode of television. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna be watching a show and find out what's happening with Teddy. Well, I mean, the Teddy thing is just fascinating because you just desperately feel there's certain characters on TV and a lot of housewives, especially after they leave the show, you really get to sense like a certain desperation that I've only met with like TV actors when they don't book things. And like, you know, you you see that with Teddy where she was like her 40th birthday, she made it an event and it was like a, a COVID thing where Mauricio and a bunch of people got COVID afterwards, but she really wants to be on the cusp of everything. You really sense she wants it and needs it. Yeah, I mean, the thing that was so fascinating to me, this is the only thing that's ever been interesting about Teddy, but I was really, when Brandy said that Denise said that Teddy was like, well, I don't remember what, what she made up that I don't believe at all, but like she said that Denise said that Teddy was like trying to use her dad's fame or no, she was like insecure that 
people only cared about her because her dad is famous. Was that, that that's, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, yeah. About that, right? Totally, yeah. Which I don't believe Denise said because it's like a very, it's something that I feel like was fed to Brandy because it's a very like, uh, it's a very, it's something that's going to get under Teddy's skin because she is like a deeply insecure person. Um, but I'm all, first of all, I'm like, who cares about John Mellencamp? Like he's not, I mean, a lot of people obviously care about him, but like, I, I wouldn't say that like, that's the reason why uh, people do or don't care about Teddy. Um, but it's a fun, it's a fun thing to blame it on though. Like it's a it's fun, fun thing. thing to blame it on. I just, I, I just, there's so much desperation and I do, you know, I definitely have moments where I feel for her. Like when Erica yelled at her that one time and she just like shut down completely because it's really scary when Erica's doing her demon <laughs> voice in your face. Like I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, she, you know, and she, she overcame like an eating disorder and all sorts of and like- she's get, And she's managed to give a lot of other ladies eating disorders. So that's exactly. always exciting. So, right. So my thing is like, yeah, I sympathize, but then she like did real harm. So I will never get over the fact that she, you know, and, and Bravo obviously in giving her a fake job, like should have vetted her a bit more, but um, yeah, she like had that whole accountability program that was like kind of monstrous uh, and was, you know, borderline starving people. So I am not a fan of her as a person. And I also don't love her on TV. And I feel like I cannot believe we've already talked this much about. I know, I know. We've talked more than people. she was. We've talked about her more than she was in last season. Um, it, was which breaking I, news. it was breaking news. You it really, yeah, I, I saw it. And I was like, I would love to get his thoughts on this. Um, but also it cracks me up too, because John Mellencamp is supposedly, you know, it's like small town America, you know, like there's like a ghost of Tom Joad kind of thing happening. And then you have Teddy and all of these Beverly Hills ladies. I just love the fact that this is what he's raised. Somebody that strives right. for, for money and big time, you know? The only reason I ever really cared about her is because she was briefly, I mean, on and off going to be, you know, Meg Ryan's stepdaughter, but they kept breaking up and I believe they're not, they're not together now. No, so, no, no. So, Did you hear that rumor that Tom Hanks was supposedly going to marry them? He was going to be the officiant? I mean, that would be cute. I, 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 you know, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, like, I feel like if you're a celebrity like John Mellencamp, like you're, you know, whatever you're famous for, if you're like, you know, famous and wealthy and you have kids, they're either going to become, to use the Tom Hanks example, they're either going to be, you know, a Colin Hanks or a Chet Hayes, you kind of like, you know, and I think Teddy is more in the Chet Hayes category where she's not as problematic. Well, diff problematic, yeah, yeah, yeah. but she's, but it's just this kind of like, you know, really thirsty, try hard energy because you don't have the talent to match what your parent had. And therefore you're kind of like always overcompensating. And she wasn't even a good housewife, which is like a skill set unto itself, but does not require like, you know, you, you, can, well, you can learn how to be good on TV, I think, to some to, degree. I mean, these shows, I was thinking about, like, watching these shows from the very beginning and what Real Housewives of Orange County that first season, if they could watch this season now of Beverly Hills or even Salt Lake. I mean, it's like Housewives on steroids because now we've gotten law involved. I mean, what are your thoughts over the years of, like, we've really grown to expect something completely different from where these shows started? Yeah, I mean, I was really interested a few years ago in trying to document. I was I started watching OC from the beginning because I had not seen it. And it was crazy to me to see this like, you know, this docu-series about like wealthy families in Orange County is what it was. There was like very little conflict. And, you know, so I started to document uh, 
for a piece that I never ended up writing. So it, now if I write it, I've spoiled it on this, on this show, but yes. um, basically about the trajectory of conflict on housewives and how, you know, from Teresa flipping a table, it just kind of escalated to a point that you expected uh, a fight to happen on every show, every season at, at that level. Um, I think things shifted a bit uh, in recent years when it got more violent. I think that, you know, Potomac was obviously a big moment. The Kenneth and Monique fight, I think, was also like, you know, not the first time there had been a uh, physical altercation on Housewives, even though they kind of made it seem like it was, uh, which is its own kind of uh, racist bullshit. But it, it, can I curse on this show? Oh my God, fuck yeah, please. Okay, great, great, just making sure. Um, the point being that I th- I feel like they sort of, you know, maybe de-emphasize that to some degree, but it kind of helps that now we have this whole like legal aspect. And so we're going in that direction. Um, I feel like we've like, we're, we're like transitioning from the era of like, you know, housewives dinner party fights to like housewives legal drama, which obviously again, Teresa Judice is the pioneer because, yeah. you know, she flipped that table and then she went to prison uh, for unrelated reasons. But um, but now we have all these other housewives who clearly want to, you know, follow in her footsteps and be the next, uh, be the next well, Teresa. I mean, that's what I, I mean. We we fall in love with these ladies, and you you were talking about Teddy, and she's not even a good housewife. And I was trying to think of what makes great housewives. And I think there is like the, we love these ladies for their egos, but at the same time, it's Shakespearean in the sense that the egos are what gives them their downfall as well. Like Erica Jane, I feel it's like all ego. Jen Shaw, it's all ego. And that's why they're, they they keep tweeting. They keep being on the show when everything in us are like, no girl, what are you doing? Right. I mean, you- I, mean I can't say I've ever loved Erica or Jen Shaw. So I, I mean, I think that's part of the problem. I've always been, you know, I don't think housewives have to be likable to be good. Like certainly that's not the case, but I have to feel there's some sort of like humanity in them, like a deeply flawed humanity, which is why like my favorite housewife will always be Bethany because she obviously has a tremendous ego, but like <laughs> will have moments of being like very broken and in a very like real and scary way. And, you know, it's hard to get that. I think at like this point you're getting people who are either boring uh or are trying so hard to create moments that it's just like it's it's not fun to watch well I that's think, that's jen shaw right she tried right. to like it's like she studied the the, the handbook of housewives and that's tried to throw it all in one season that's what's so weird about jen though is that like that was my impression of her and then it's like maybe she really is like this which is actually like completely terrifying because <laughs> i can't imagine hanging out with a person who has outbursts like that not when there are when there are not cameras around like, that's just really kind of stressful for me to think about but i yeah i don't know i mean overall though yes that is a problem uh with new housewives i think you know i i really i it was hard for me on uh on new york i mean everything was hard for me on new york (laughs) but when like Bershawn showed up and i was like oh great like like they needed more they needed more people in the cast like i was like you know another black woman on the show that's been way too white for too long but she she showed up and she was immediately starting these like giant fights and i and don't throw, like, like sonia saying sonia going like oh you're a mess you're a complete wreck sonia and we i mean she threw that out there immediately and there was no i mean it was just out there like she was trying to start somewhere right yeah I mean, it came from like knowing who sonia morgan is from from the real hospitals in New York city. Yeah. It's not, it's not coming from an authentic place. So, you know, I think asking for uh, authenticity on that level is like impossible. Now we're, we're so far into 
this franchise. And I think also like, you know, most of the fights on Housewives now are kind of about the show. Like they're about being Housewives. It's not really, it's not really so much like real interpersonal conflict. Um, but uh, there are still some Housewives who like show up and are new Housewives and really work for me. So I, I have faith. That, When's the last one of those for you where you're like, this um, works? Well, I mean, like, I mean, I, I really do like the SLC cast a, a lot. I mean, I think that they all have like quirks that feel real to me that make them good TV and not in ways that like, you know, I think that like Heather and Meredith and Lisa are all really entertaining to me and it doesn't feel like it's like a shtick. It just feels like this. they're all really weird in in their own way. And I say that with admiration uh, for the most part. And, um, you know, I think like, I was really excited about Crystal, um, less so now, but I think <laughs> she had a good start. Um, you know, she's a Teddy friend. She's friends with Teddy. Yeah, well, that's the, fir- that's the first. Mark- Isn't it funny that, that I hear that? I heard that. And that was my first strike against Crystal. I, that I worried about that. I really, you know, I really, I really wanted to like her. And I think that she does have kind of, she, she showed up and she was like kind of an asshole, but it was like in a way that felt real to me where I was like, yeah. oh, she's just kind of an asshole. And that's like fun to watch. She's not like, she's not just stirring the pot. She's like kind of an asshole. I felt like when she was going out, it was sudden. She was completely in the right. Um, yes. I think she probably harped on the word violated too much because just like, I don't know, you never want to kind of like be harping on any one thing for that long on one of these shows. It just looks bad. But Sutton had a weird racist outburst over nothing, over like the concept of racism. And it was really embarrassing. And I think Crystal was right to kind of uh, side-eye her for a while and also like call out that she was being really weird and emotional. Um, I don't know why Crystal's decided that she needs to kind of be on Erica's side. And well, but the, see, I think that that goes in with what you're saying about being an asshole is that I think she's just kind of like, I don't even know if it's siding with Erica as a say of like, yeah, I'd shut her up too. That's what I, I think, did, I did I, say. Yeah, I think more that she that she like hates Sutton, but then she'll say these weird things about how uh, me, you know, Rob me too. Rob works with me too, people. And- it's so it's so it's such an unforced error. I I mean, but I like the thing is like I like the kind of you know she's making some like season one mistakes, and I do like that because I feel like she's not too rehearsed. You know, she's not coming into this like like I'm like, happy to see her on season two already. I'm excited yeah, to see. Yeah, she's not she's not like she's not Jen Shawing it. She's not, you know, she's just kind of like making some mistakes and I will allow her, I don't have to, <laughs> I will, I will, what I mean is I will, I will give her another chance. Like I'm happy to come into season two and be like, let me see your redemption arc. Let me see you admit that Erica sucks. Um, probably won't happen. But isn't but, it funny um, though, that we, with these shows is that I don't, I'm not into sports at all. In fact, like, you know, I, I've tried to be just for my male friendships, but I can't do it. But these shows though, it, it like you even like, it, it almost reads like fantasy football sometimes where we all started off disliking Sutton. We all thought bad move, what she did with crystal horrible. And then she was able to work her way back up in kind of the audience's good graces because she was Sutton. She did the same shit, but she directed it towards a worthy, um, not opponent, but a worthy cause going against right. Erica. Right. I mean, listen, I think that Sutton what helped a lot with the Sutton situation is that she issued a real apology that, you know, is not my apology to accept Crystal accepted it, which was, you know, they had a public kind of moment with that. And I was like, okay, if we can like, you know, I think 
I have a lot of thoughts about the way Housewives of Color have been treated over the past couple of years by Bravo, by the fandom, by the women on these shows, the white women on these shows. Um, but I think that like, there was a genuine learning moment there and it was really unpleasant to watch, but like, I, I, I don't know if, if Crystal can get past that particular thing with Sutton, even if she doesn't like her still, I, I think like we can kind of move past it to an extent. I think it'll be a thing at the reunion as it should be. Um, but well, yeah, the I mean, reunions though, was that very frustrating for you? Uh, I mean, I know we're both white dudes, but like to not have a New York reunion and a lot of my friends were like, no, Ramona needs to answer for her, even though we know what that would be like, we know yeah, exactly I mean, what that would be like. I mean, I am frustrated about the New York reunion because I feel like Ebony deserved a chance to, I mean, she got thrown under the bus so much about this season and I think she deserved a chance to talk about that, to defend herself. I think Ramona absolutely should have answered for her behavior, but she, I mean, she never will. So it's not, you know. Isn't it's, it weird? It's, it's like this blindness. We have a blind spot for Ramona. And in this year, in this day and age, I don't know if we can continue to have this blind spot for Ramona, especially when I feel like they're aging out of these shows anyways, where well, how, yeah. how long do we, I mean, like I love Luann, Sonia and uh, Ramona so much, but at a certain point, Bravo can't be held hostage by uh, fan favorites. And especially as they're getting older, you do have to cut and run at some point. Well, I think they won't be. I mean, I think that like, you know, for someone like Ramona, she is aging out of it. And, you know, she leaked that story. She Someone leaked that story about how oh. high her, her Q score is. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of fans of these shows, as you can see on Twitter, like agree with Ramona's views and think that like, you should totally scream that you're sorry about being white in Ebony's face because that's, an, you know, like that's, that's behavior that people unfortunately would agree with. At the same time, like, Bravo needs to bring in a new audience. New York had horrible ratings uh, this past season. And I don't think, you know, the smart move to me is like you, you build a show around Ebony and Leah and you bring in new people. You have, I, my ideal version is like Luann and Sonia stay on as like friends of, and then you bring in like, you know, a, a new cast in some ways. I think that like, you know, Ramona is also very expensive and I don't think they, I don't think they need her. I don't think that like, the ratings show that she's not enough of a draw at this point to justify keeping her after the shit she pulled last season. And now that they have a, you know, a million of these all-star series, I feel like we're, we're, we're doomed to, Ooh. you know, watch them. That I, I well, it almost gives Bravo an excuse to let, let people go because, Oh, we'll, we'll fan you out to one of these all-star. Yeah, which they can know? pay them. Like, I don't know, a plane ticket and 20 bucks to go hang out for a weekend. Vicky will do it for 10 at this point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And she did. And that's the thing is also like, you get all these housewives who like, you know, were fired from their shows for good reason, you know, like there are re there like Vicky and especially the, the, the Bluestone Manor one where it's like all the most problematic housewives, uh, including <laughs> like, you know, people who were like fired for very real and like, you know, good reasons. Um, yeah. I think they'll, they'll kind of keep cycling through how, you know, give, put Luann on, give her a, I don't know, a peacock show about her cabaret, whatever you yeah. want. To do. Like, I mean, I feel like we should go do a show where we just follow her around like the grateful dead and just like, like, <laughs> like set up shop outside, you know? Yeah. You know, sure. I mean, I, I think that they'll do a lot more of that. I am very dubious about these all-star series. I have to say, 
Uh, and I, you know, I, you know, Andy once said, like, once we start doing Housewives All-Stars, you'll know that like we jumped the shark and, and here we are. But see, I, I know exactly that quote you're talking about. And I it's like one of the times where I've actually disagreed with Andy, but just in a competitive sense of watching what the 90 Day Fiance universe did, where they'll like I said, they'll have Colty fart in a can and that's a show. And I feel like it's like, damn, they're getting now twice the ratings of Bravo. And it's uh, to me, I get competitive with like fuck, Bravo needs to get in the game. Let's go. And I know it might be tacky to do like summer house, winter, lucky charm, but at least we're doing, uh, we're all under the same stars universe where I feel like I just want people to get excited, new people to come in. I don't mind. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't mind the tackiness of it. It's more just like, who is this for? Because (laughs) you're not bringing a new audience with an all-star show really. And I also feel like you're 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 filming for like they film for like six days it's just know, it's not it's not enough to like especially for women who don't actually know each other and the only conflicts that make any sense with these women is like about the shows like you know they fought they fought before about like who's more famous and who's whose show really left a bigger mark on pop culture like if they want to fight about that like by all means <laughs> but i just don't really i don't need to see them fighting about room assignments when they're you know they're they're all just like yeah it feels well, you know and, and that and that's hard and i think the summer house thing as you were saying like that it's the only reason that bothers me is because summer house is like the last remaining bravo show that feels really real to me and you know, they're actually friends and that when someone like hannah alienates all of them she gets just gets fired because she no one wants to hang out with her um so i don't love the idea of like you know i don't want to ruin that that magic that we had with like early vanderpump rules where now it's just like well that i wanted to ask you about that because we're less than well as of today we're a week away from season nine of vanderpump rules that helped us it's so weird it's like it's it's like it's been off air for like a year and a half or something, something really crazy. And, and time does move on where you were even talking about earlier about housewives hitting each other. We had a full contact slap between Stassi and Kristen Doty in an iconic <laughs> episode, you know? We sure did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought about that a lot with the, uh, that was a real hard slap too. Yes. Um, and we, and she was celebrated. She was promoted. She was not taken I know, off. I know it was a different time. Um, I, yeah. I don't, I mean, all the, the shit that Saucy and Kristen did, I mean, that was out there and has been out there and, and it was like, you know, Bravo waited until they absolutely had to, to get rid of the two of them. Um, yeah. I mean, and Jax has been Jax for forever. So I think like Vanderpump Rules is interesting. I think for a lot of reasons, but also because like, you know, it's like the Ramona question of like, what, when does bad behavior cross the line? And I think like, it's hard. I mean, Vanderpump Rules though, has a lot of like, you know, younger, uh, more left-leaning people on its cast. And so they kind of, I think, want to uh, maybe be the, one of the more progressive uh, shows like Summer House. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't really, you have to reconcile that with some of your cast members doing some, some racist shit. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Are people excited about the new season? I, I can't really. That's gauge. Right. I, I don't gauge it either. Like I, I kind of see a lot of people of like, uh, I doubt I'll watch it. Like I've, I've seen a couple of people on Twitter just like, I guess I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out from Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. I don't know what you're coming back to. And also I, I wonder, I don't know how deep you get into where you think about the production of these shows, the further you get into it. And I just don't know, like, how do you come back from like, it was a wild summer. Jax is gone. Like, how do we, I mean, how do right, we go right. about explaining everything? Well, that's the thing is I don't really, I think that like Vanderpump rules, 
is so far from its like conception at this point that it's really silly that we're pretending that like Sheena's working at this restaurant. So I, <laughs> and I she mean, got back into shape from her baby the week no. after she had her baby. Like she was working his shift supposedly. I mean, yeah. It's like, That's it's very it, Sheena. It's tough. I mean, like, you know, ideally you just like, listen, I'm all for like watching these people hang out in the Valley without Lisa. I don't really need to see them like, gathering at her house to ask her advice but i understand that like that's that's the show so like just it's it's it, you know it you, it's you can only suspend disbelief so far yeah. and i think that like for a show like vanderpump rules it's really hard i mean it, it's also hiding these people these people's job now is they're, they're reality stars so like you can't really like i would watch a show about that but yes like i would a, a full uh, bravo yeah. bravo fucking bravo moment of like talking about instagram followers and you know did you did you get into bachelor in paradise this season at all i don't do the bachelor shows that's at all. you're so smart you're so wise <laughs> in that sense but it, there's a, been a fascinating conversation because there's been this guy that lost a hundred thousand followers because he pretty much admitted he came with a girlfriend and he was doing it for the instagram followers i did i did, I did see that and i did see I, I i followed that on twitter at least but it's funny when you're in a show of everybody doing it for instagram followers and then one person gets persecuted for it when it's like everybody's like the call's coming from within the island like this is everybody's there for the same reason but it is fascinating like i would have loved i mean the show i really want to see is like the downfall of jacks like of like him him doing these commercials on his instagram stories and him trying to like that's the stuff that makes me like weirdly sad and it's like a a movie you would want to see you know some, some things are just too dark no but i think <laughs> i think it really depends on the show right like i mean production is different for lots of these shows and so like the the amount of fourth wall breaking they're willing to do depends on the show and i you know i think that i have a hard time when i feel like what i'm watching even if there's conflict is like is fake and the real the real issue is like lurking below the surface like i i've had trouble with potomac this season because i feel like the wendy fight with like giselle is clearly about giselle and robin bringing up this rumor on the show on in front of the cameras but instead it's like become this really convoluted thing where i'm like just say what it's really about and she and she does in interviews i've seen wendy talk about this where she's like my problem is that robin texted me before the show and yes, so she would yeah. talk about it and then they brought it up and i'm like great so like let's talk about that like we all know you're on a tv show so I don't, I, I really, this need to kind of like, you know, make us forget that we're watching a TV show is like actually, I think, hurting some of these shows because it just feels like not believable. Yeah. I mean, the audiences actually are extremely savvy in this day and age. I mean, there's a lot of idiots watching too, but for the most part, a very savvy audience. But that is the thing is that Bravo and I think reality shows in general don't know how to get a hold of there's two shows. There's the show and then the show outside of the show that takes place on social media where we get all of the motivations. We see even deleted scenes. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure if you watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills deleted scenes and they're all amazing. One gave like actual clear context for why Sutton was so up in Erica's oh, she, Where she offered Erica money. Yeah, like I'll yeah, say yeah, I yeah, offered her money. You know, that, that that's <laughs> real stuff, you know? Really? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's just confusing to me. I don't know why they cut that, but I... I think it's, it's, it's definitely hard because, you know, and I think Andy's talked about this. It's like, you can't, you go too far and suddenly you've, you've lost, like, it all seems fake, right? Like you acknowledge yeah. you break the fourth wall too much and it all seems fake, but it's like, if you look at like the, you know, the Beverly Hills season, last season, uh, uh, Denise stuff, it's like the fight was really about like Denise holding back on camera and the other women being pissed that she was getting paid so much money to like not talk about her personal life. And it was really <laughs> a takedown because they were like, 
angry and jealous and she didn't want to play by the rules. And like, that's all really interesting to me. But what actually, what we saw was like this weird fight about like whether or not she fucked Brandy and like, you know, who cares? And it was so like, it was so weird and like, and, and, and phony because like, it was clear what the real fight was about. But it was also, but it was, but also to me that was completely dark because Denise was looking like you're going to ruin my family. Like, like oh yeah, yeah. No, and there I was mean, a darkness there. The feelings there were totally real. I just think that it was like I don't think that Lisa Rinna actually cares what Denise does in the bedroom. I think she just was, you know, doing her part as as Lisa Rinna, which apparently doesn't she she's dropped that this season. But uh, playing her role as, you know, the shitster or just to be like, <laughs> let me get this out there. And I don't know. I, 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 that whole season was just too, too much for me. I, uh, I, the, the reunion I thought was like a real low point. It was like also like the wrong time. It was like, you know, early COVID and we're all yes. just like isolating. We were watching this reunion where it's just like Denise being like, just like taken down for, I don't know, like having sex with brandy which like hasn't she suffered enough it just was like very <laughs> very weird you brought up uh watching a show or watching the reunion during covid and you know a lot of us uh that are obsessed with tv and make it a huge part of our lives it really i mean not to use the tw- but it hit different in the sense of you know i realize tv means so much more when i'm out there living my miserable life and i have tv to come home to right and it, it really has uh, what was your experience? And I know you can't sum that up in like a two minute thing, but for you, how tough was it? I mean, you were in New York, you were, this is your life. What was it like for you to start having all of your shows be affected by something that we're still in? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was living in a studio apartment. Thankfully I have moved, but I spent the first year of COVID in a studio apartment in, in Manhattan, uh, just, uh, trying to get through it. I watched all of Below Deck and Below... I watched every Below Deck series, every episode. I watched all of Summer House. That was how I, like... You know, that was my Bravo education. Um, I, I really... You know, I was, like, very much shocked when they started filming again. Do you remember... I mean, it started with the OC women basically deciding they were going to film without... <laughs> the- they were like, they're like, no, we're filming. And I was, like... I was so upset because I was just, like... You know, I was like, what are you doing? Like, people are dying and you were like, you know, it just felt so inappropriate. I don't know. And I was very like, I was very like, I don't want to see these COVID seasons. And then it's been shitty. I mean, it's, I, I you know, I think like sometimes it's just like, a, even when they're either they're not taking it seriously enough, which makes me upset or they're taking it seriously as they do kind of more on New York and then they have a bad season because they can't do anything. And there's like, yes, yeah. of them hanging out and then like empty. It's just like really, you know, it, it's, that's so fake too. They have all these events that they can't invite anyone to because of COVID. So you're like, you want me to believe these women are like throwing a party for, you know, each other and there's no one else there. And, except cameras and like that, you know, it's, it's well, silly. Then, but then also there's like this horror element, like we, you know, we're watching the OC or even I remember watching the season premiere of Jersey during COVID and they had this party. It was where Teresa, you know, like, Oh, you know, your husband cheated, you know, like she just, she, where, like, she, where she let, where she let Jackie know about that. Yes. Room. So kindly, yeah. yeah. But you, I remember like the party and, and I was like, Oh, they must've shot this pre COVID. Cause everybody's mad. Like everybody's just like, and then I saw the staff and I was like, Oh shit, there's somebody in a mask. And then I was horrified because I'm like, this is probably how they actually live their lives. Like it's not, right. they're not that interrupted by it depending on where you're at, you know? Yeah. I mean, as we've gotten further in the pandemic and I've calmed down a little bit, like I'm still angry all the time and like sad, but it's not as, you know, it feels a little less urgent. 
Um, I can appreciate these things more from a sociological perspective of like, I like seeing how rich people play by different rules. I like seeing as angry as it made me to see Cynthia justify her super spreader wedding, which uh, allegedly <laughs> no one got sick. I don't know. No, I don't, no, no, no. <laughs> as angry as that makes me, yeah, it's actually really fascinating to watch that kind of entitlement play out on TV. And I think like one of the best examples, you know, the, the shows that have handled this really well for me are the bubble shows like Below Deck and, and uh, Summer House where they're in an actual bubble. But there was an unsailing yacht of Below Deck. They didn't even mention COVID at the beginning of the first COVID season they've done. And like, it wasn't, I was like, did they film this before? Like what, what happened? And then one of the guests got sick and they, had yeah, to they couldn't go on the boat. Yeah. And the, well, it was, and the other guests had to, had to isolate in the room and they were so angry about being in the room. They were like, we paid all this money. Like how, you can't do this. And it was like, no, you all have to do that. You can't, you can't just like travel during a pandemic and not deal with this shit. Like, this is just like how life is, but they were so like, they were so upset at the audacity of like, spending money and then being asked to like not do whatever they wanted um so that was fun to watch i guess even though it's it's also infuriating well below that i mean i'm a huge and i think you are as well but it, it falls in line with being angry at somebody i'm a huge below deck med fan but oh, part God. of that is because i really like to dislike captain sandy like and and just her being and you even uh, sandy, the, wor- the worst manager of all time yeah. and she's always there like she's always on top of you which in the first episode you guys i think we talked about they had to send the chef away and they had to get like and i'm like sandy should know what she's doing she's always over the chef's shoulder the entire time every season she should know exactly how to cook this shit um, you know she likes to be i think in general she defaults to being like too present uh, except when she needs to do something like when Lexi is doing anything and she was kind of like, I don't know, you figure it out. Um, she's just like the worst manager. She's like, I, she triggers something in me where I'm like, <laughs> but also because like, I want to like love this like lesbian captain. And instead I'm like, she's one of the worst people on Bravo. Um, I, my other theory about Sandy though, is that she just like loves being a Bravo lab and she wants to be, you know, like, she creates moments on the show in a way that like Captain Lee does not do. So, Captain Lee's a rock. He is like a, a wall. Uh, I think we love uh, that like, about him, you know? He's if he's pissed, it's because he's pissed, right? And like I with Sandy, I'm always like, you're doing this for TV. Like when she makes the to me, instead of getting takeout to have the crew make dinner for the guests. To me, that's like Sandy being like, this will be a good like moment for the show. I just think like, because I also think that her thing with Hannah was always about like you know, Hannah being more like, you, you don't want to be here, Hannah. We can all tell. <laughs> right. like, uh, I mean, it, it just, it just like, I, you know, I, I try not to think about this too much because that's our, you know, I, I don't think, I don't want to assume that everyone on these shows is like doing something for the cameras, but with Sandy, I just don't believe her. I think she's so obsessed with her image and like her, how she looks on the show and, you know, the, sh- the show itself that, it just all feels like I don't know. Her yelling at Malia, like that in that Malia, you've got to tell me when somebody hurts themselves. And Malia even looks shocked because like they're the like, you know, terrible twosome from last okay, season. You know? Here's the thing. Malia's had a good season, but yeah, when Sandy yells at her, did you see how she like slipped back into her snake behavior? Because she immediately was like, Well, David should have filed a report and I, <laughs> yeah. I should have reminded him. And I was like, I was like, Okay, so you're now somehow it's David's fault. Somehow after being like this wasn't even on us at all. She's like, well, you know, David really should have found out. Oh, next episode, we're going to, uh, there's mysteriously going to be volume that pops up in David's room, you know? I mean, 
I just like 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 Malia being like it's not my job, and I'm like okay, but it was your job to like search Hannah's luggage. Like that's <laughs> that was your job to There's report. Still, see, luggage. isn't it? That's what I love about life in these shows. There's still moments that you'll never be able to take back. Like no matter how good of a season Malia has, we'll always remember that she dug in and took a photograph placing these items and took like you can't like that's always an asterisk in uh, totally. reality I think, yeah i think that we'll always you know but at the same time it's like do we remember that malia like came on the show with the relationship that she lied about like to production i mean that's really funny but also like we don't talk about that that she and the chef had a, a secret relationship that they were keeping from yeah 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 production uh no i think yeah that thing about that fight though that was interesting too is that like sandy was screaming at malia and Malia was like, I'm not, I'm not the first officer. Like the person who files the report is the first officer who's not a character on Below Deck. And so like Sandy's making it like, this is Malia's job, but it's also kind of like this like fourth wall breaking thing of like, well, it actually is someone else's job who's not part of the cast. So maybe they should have been part of that discussion. I mean, I hate when that that universe opens up where you're like, you're right. Like, but I hate to think about that. I hate to think that there's other people that I don't know, like a first, you know, like I know that right. these things exist. I just hate because then I'm like, well, where's the it's like when I used to like when Sonya would take the jitney, I'm like, put a camera on her for the whole time. I want all the jitney footage. I want I'm all of it. You know? The fact that we have a bus to the Hamptons and we call it a jitney because it somehow like seems more glamorous. <laughs> and and she wore a diaper on it. Like I want to get, give me the audio for every New York bus trip and let me pay extra to control the audio. Like, wouldn't you love to bump up the audio on I, certain people? I would. I mean, I also, I do feel like Sonia on the jitney is like Sonia at all times. I just think Sonia is like at this point, just she's just Sonia. Um, but yes, in general, I do kind of want more. I think like I would love to see more, you know, at BravoCon, I went to a couple of the producer panels, and those were like the best things that I went to because you go to the other panels and it's like what you'd expect, but the producers are telling you really good stories behind the scenes. And like I want that shit. Like I want like yeah. I want more behind the scenes special episodes. I want more like, you know, I want to really hear the that the stuff of like what goes on and and wrangling these people and I like how on the New York, like, you know, footage you missed or whatever, whatever they called their secret. Yeah, yeah. This also happened. Yeah. They had that whole thing about how the women were like making fun of the bad music they have to use because it's like, you know, approved for use on the show. Like they, they play whatever generic fake music. Like I want like production tidbits like that. And I think it's definitely a fine line. You don't want to lose the, the magic of, you know, of a reality show where you, you know, it seems kind of real, but it's also like, we we need a little bit more of that. Well, you also have these weird one-offs that I, I would love to encourage more of. Like, remember when we had the, like, before she was Countess Luann special and right. it gave us like the, the whole history where it's like Luann was in Italy and she acted like she was Sharon Stone at an award show. And like these bizarre <laughs> moments that you're like, right. this is even better than Luann on certain seasons of the actual show. Yeah, I don't know if it's like those are just harder to do. There, I I I love that. I also love when they do the like the behind the scenes and they did like dinner party from hell. They did like what it was what was really going on when that happened and interviewing production and and the cast. Like I I love all that shit. I just think it's cheaper and easier for them now to like be like we're gonna have housewives comment on these shows. So they just have them like you know they basically zoom them in and they have them like comment on things. That's a lot easier to produce, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I that seems like more of the model they're they're moving toward, which is like kind of people's couch 
inspired, but it's just, I, I can't actually watch it. I tried watching the below deck one and I was like, I don't enjoy this. I, yeah, I can't I, do, I can't do chat room either. It's like hard for me. It's just, it just feels a little bit, a little bit too low budget. And it feels like also some of these people need better writers. They have yeah. people helping them with their confessionals, I guess. And when they're like just sitting there and talking about shows, I'm not that entertained. Well, it's like, I, I don't know. Like I was watching the E pre-show of the Emmys with like Brad Goreski and Lisa Rinna and uh, uh, another lady who was, who was actually the best one of the three, but I was just the, the, the going back and forth of like, ha, 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 isn't it amazing? No, oh, like, and it's just this fake laughter. And that's what a lot of these Bravo shows of like, oh, you got the tea, I've got the tea. And it's not really any kind of actual discourse. No, it's, and it's, it's, I mean, it's all kind of too put upon now. I don't need to see any more people sipping drinks in their confessionals. I feel like we've had that moment. Yeah. Move on. I realize I'm sipping iced tea during our conversation. By the way, yeah, Lewis keeps like like doing the Erica Jane with the champagne. But I don't have like I don't have like a straw that I'm like you know punctuating my statements with. Giselle just, really I, killed. Giselle I, killed the straw in that one scene of Potomac, though. Like, she well, yeah, fun. no, I mean, good for her, good for her. But I, <laughs> um, I yeah, no, and and uh, I have to say, I think Erica's you know very rehearsed confessionals have been good this season. I think she's really at least putting the effort into her confessionals. And I think her, her lawyer should be commended for the work they've done there. Well, you opened that up and a lot of people don't, if you don't follow Lewis on Twitter, I mean, good for you for not being on Twitter, but you, if you're on Twitter, you definitely should follow him. But you, if you do follow him, you know that he is actually like me. He owns a rare piece of history. He is an owner of a Tom Girardi painting from the Girardi Keese auction. And he got the really good one where there's a little mini painting of Tom Girardi and Erica Jane from one of the scenes of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Do your parents still have that? Because they had to go pick it up for you. They do have it. Yeah. My parents are in LA, so they have that. I don't know how we're going to ship it because it turns out it's very expensive to, I like, I got, a, <laughs> I got a quote from a place and I was like, okay, that's, that's reasonable. And then I found out it was just a quote to like wrap it and then the actual <laughs> shipping and insurance and all that shit. And it's like, you know, I already paid too much for the stupid painting. It wasn't like crazy, but it was Yeah, you're like, already arguing with yourself for buying it in the first right. place. Now I know? have to like pay basically twice that to get it shipped. Um, I do want to hang it up though. I, I you know, I'm really, uh, I think that what Tom allegedly did, uh, I, I will say allegedly a lot because, you know, everyone's litigious and you can get sued. It's not a threat. It's a problem. Eric will sue Sutton just for Eric, talking. I, I know. And so I'm careful, but um. It's obvious. It's the crimes that he is accused of are truly awful, and I don't take them lightly. I think, from a perspective of like uh, entertainment value on the show, it has been really, really interesting to watch uh, them all grapple with this, like these horrific crimes. And I think that, um, yeah, I think like you know, I justified buying the painting because I was like, well, the money will go to his creditors and eventually that money will go to the widows and orphans. So there, you know, maybe this will help them eventually. Um, but yeah, it's been a really wild season. And yeah, and, and you're in as a housewives uh, historian, do you think this is a near perfect season or are you like, I, 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 there are things that really bother me because it involves uh, uh, the shadow of this criminal case? No, it's not. I mean, listen, I think it's removed enough where it doesn't feel exploitative in the way that it could be. It's not to me as hard to watch as like the Taylor Russell stuff from early Beverly Hills. Uh, I don't know if it's a perfect season. I think like, 
you know, if you go back to the beginning, it's like a lot of the sudden crystal stuff, like it just was, you know, it dragged on for a while. There were some good moments. There were also a lot of like really uh, not fun, awkward moments. Uh, I, I think that like, I wish some of the women were going harder at Erica. I, you know, Sutton does her best, but like, it's hard to go up against Erica because she has a demon voice. That's really scary. Well, you, you talk about this and this week she d- debuted a new one where it went high. She goes, <laughs> she's, she's Saturday. Got, like it was very she has, interesting. She has, the, she has the range. She's kind of like, she's got like her demon voice and she has her kind of like Tennessee Williams, like, like fallen Southern woman voice. Cause she like, <laughs> she's Southern. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, but I do think the Erica stuff's interesting. I think what's like really funny to me is that like before, before, before we started the season and then like, you know, kind of throughout Andy was like, you know, Erica really goes there. She tells everyone. <laughs> everything. And we all knew that was bullshit. Right. Yeah, we never yeah, yeah. going to do that. But like all the cast members like, Oh no, she really talks about it. We really talk about these conversations which is not what ha- what's happened. But at the same time, frankly, I'd rather watch Erica like threaten to sue people and like, you know, accuse them all of betraying her and ask why they're torturing her. Like that to me is like better TV than whatever like she and her lawyers come up with for her to say. Well, so yeah, it's, it's, almost, I, I, it's theatrical. It's like Ibsen almost. Like I'm like yeah. watching three women where I'm like watching her, her stillness sometimes is so still where I'm like, this is so good in just in a bad performance aspect like it just works on this different level I don't, for me yeah i don't know like it's hard for me to tell sometimes if the show and the producers and the editors like how much they realize about what we actually want to see and i also realize that i might not be like the target audience but like i'm just like when she was at a dinner and she was like looking around the table at all of them individually and saying like why are you torturing me like that was like maybe the best moment because it was just like it was so absurd and it was so so theatrical, as you were saying. Like, I love that. Like her her like telling Sutton to shut the fuck up. It's like, okay, I've seen that, but I haven't seen like I haven't seen this like look at my fucking life is like an iconic moment because it's just like it's ridiculous. And it is completely ridiculous. And then you, that scene was great too because you had Giselle. Uh, no, sorry, Giselle um, uh, Sutton. Or, or they were trying to like. Um, I wish like, it, I wish it were Giselle because I think no. Giselle. Could, I mean, imagine well, but, what the stomach woman would do to Erica Jane. But that's. A do you, I mean, do you ever get though? Like when I I see who likes Erica Jane's photos, and like sometimes I'm like, Candace, why are you like Candace? I've like you're. Heard, I've heard this that Candace is a closet Erica fan, and she I, said on Watch What Happens Live the other night she admires her on Twitter, and I'm like, wow, that's that makes amazing. Sense. That makes sense. I think because like. I mean, there are some things that certain housewives have in common, and that is, I think, one of, like, the things that they like each other for that Candace kind of admires in Erica, clearly, and that, like, Jen Shaw admires in Erica is that they are all uh, fucking awful on Twitter. They are disasters on Twitter. Is that what Andy called? Yeah, Candace yeah, I called it Candace a disaster on Twitter, and then he I said the other night Erica Heather, was as Heather, well. I think Heather Gay called Jen Shaw a disaster on Twitter as well, or on social media. Um you know, PK for all his weird misogyny has made some decent points about uh, Erica being awful on social media. So I think like they have this like weird unifying thing where they're all just like really awful. And Candace is like so wretched and nasty on when she was tweeting, when she called Ashley a bed wench, which is like obviously a hugely loaded term while yeah. she was in birth, like that was like heinous. And uh, yeah, I think that she sees Erica being a dick and like posting, you know, drawings of herself martyred. Uh, I think she thinks that's like great and how she would handle it. Well, yeah. I mean, on January 16th, we, I mean, I would love, cause I'm, I know you know how to 
interpret text. What do you think this means? Got buffoons eating my pussy while I watch cartoons. That was Erica Jane's. Uh, and then she was laying right. out on January 16th. Like that's, I mean, like who does Mikey give her that? Like, I don't think that comes from Erica Jane's mind per se. Her, but I mean, I've never, I've never liked Erica because she always felt like she was kind of all artifice. I was like, there's, yeah, no, there's no there, there, there's no there, there. And I think like, the, the thing with her was always like when people, when people, especially like gay men who weirdly were into her at first, would like kind of latch onto it. I was like, we never see her real personality, and when we do see glimmers of realness, it's when she's being nasty for no reason. She's like very cold and mean, and she, as PK said, is like, what did he say? She's an inherently cold. Like, oh, you're, you're not. You're, yeah, you're inherently cold. Right. She's just like she's like not a nice person, and. Everything else is all just kind of like whatever her gaze tell her to do, I guess. I don't know. It's it's not. So I've never liked it. I mean, this is the most I've ever enjoyed her on the show because like she's hilarious. I but that doesn't mean you're like, oh, she should get off without pain because I like her. No, on the show, you I, know? I, don't, I mean, I really don't know where she goes from here because I don't know. Like, I don't really want to watch another season of her doing this. And I don't really know. I think the show has to kind of grapple with what they want to do next. It's like do you keep someone like Rinna around? You know, there are lots of questions that I think we all need to really take some time with. And what do you uh, think of the Kathy effect? Are you somebody that is as charmed with Kathy as the majority of the fan base seems to be? Um, I try to remember uh, <laughs> that all Hiltons are enemies, but I, <laughs> Love that. I think Kathy is funny. I think she's, I think she adds something to the show. I don't know. Like I, there's definitely like, she has that kind of like, you know, she has obviously more of Kim's like weirdness without the kind of really sad, like uh, addiction stuff going on. So I do like that. She brings that to, to the table. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I can't decide if she would, what she would do full time, you know, if it would yeah. be like, I like right now she's kind of like the jester and I'm like, is she, if she is full time, would it get sadder and realer? Like, would yeah, she, could she handle her own storyline? I feel like she and Kyle couldn't handle it because Kyle and Kim, you know, never really, they were always on and off. And I think that whole, those sisters all have issues. And like, I don't know, I don't know if Kyle and Kathy could maintain the relationship if Kathy were full-time. Yeah. Uh, which is not a reason to not have her be full-time. I mean, that's between them and whatever, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, when she had those, she had an emotional moment recently talking about you know when she wasn't talking to kyle and she was crying about the time lost and i was like okay kathy has like interiority um but i'm not sure if that's what viewers want to see i'm not sure if that's what she really wants to be doing on the show i think she in every interview is like well kyle said it would be fun and it is it it was really fun for me you know but like does she want to do the like messy the messy stuff does she want to like get dirty with the other housewives I mean, I do wonder what she really thinks of certain people. Like, does she like? I wonder if she finds Lisa loud. I wonder if she finds Erica declasse. Like, I, I do. I'm curious about actual real feelings. That like, because Kathy seems like she has a lot of feelings about class and how we eat our dinners and things like that. She does, but she's like one of those really sappy people who like married extremely rich and like has been rich for a long time. Who like knows better than to say that shit. Like. It's so, it looks so bad when people like, you know, when Crystal's saying like, I'd never heard of, of Sutton before. It's like, that just like looks bad. But Kathy like says it in a, in a subtler way because she's, you know, she's Kathy Hilton. She's like, she plays the game better. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I, I don't, 
I don't know what the cast looks like going forward because they, they're really going to have to fight hard to kind of keep the momentum going. And they're not going to want another season of just like, you know, sudden Erica butting heads. I, I do think that, that, you know, the reunion will be interesting because like, you know, I, I, I do hope that like Kyle and Erica go at it because I, I need that personally. And I think Kyle has it in her. So I know. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to see Kyle actually take hold and not play middle of the road and just go for it one time. Um, <laughs> she I, know it. I mean, I think, you know, I think Kyle is like a survivor and I think she, she survives in part by kind of waiting to see which way the wind blows. And I think she did that with Erica and the wind's not blowing in Erica's favor. As far as I can, as, as, yeah. as far as I can tell from like what people are saying online, which is the real world to me. Um, as we, we start winding down, this has gone way too quick. Um, what irks you about the, the, the Bravo fan base as we get in more into it, because I was just, you mentioned the PK thing and I was, I was cracking up. If like somebody has two good episodes in a row, they immediately sexualize the character. It wasn't just enough where people like, I agree with PK. It got to be like, I want to fuck PK. Like it, like that's, that's I that's, love the fan that's, base. That's, that's something I hadn't seen. And now I have to think about that. So thank you. Um, <laughs> and I, Teddy, think about Teddy in there as well. Well, I'm always thinking about Teddy, unfortunately. Um, what irks me, you know, I think like, God, it's complicated. A lot of things, you know, I wrote, I wrote an essay about Erica for Vulture and um, I got a lot of replies and a lot of comments and it was like not a side of the Bravo fan base that I loved. It was like a lot of weird shit. It was like conspiratorial. There was like a whole, all this stuff about how I was like, you know, basically like there was a whole theory that, you know, because Brian and Erica are friends and, yeah, and Brian yeah. writes the recaps that like I was hired to like, be nice, be favorable to Erica, but in a slightly more critical way so that like it would make her look better and make Brian look better. And it was all this sort of <laughs> stuff. And it was like, there's just kind of this segment of the fandom that's like too online. And I say that as someone who is very online myself, where I don't know, or that whole thing when people were saying that like, you know, they had proof that Erica had invested in like- With Lisa Rinna's, yeah. But she didn't. And like, I don't know. I just, I find that all really tiresome. Um, that's true of like any fandom though. I think the thing that I struggle with the most is like the, uh, unfettered racism of housewives fandom in particular and seeing the things that, uh, Tiffany dealt with on Dallas and, and the fandom, again, a lot of them in, in support of Tiffany, but some of the really ugliness, some of the ugliness that I saw on Twitter was like, you know, really abhorrent. I think, um, you know, Crystal having to leave Twitter, uh, not great. Yeah. Um, Ebony, everything that Ebony dealt with last year. I mean, it's just like, it's really bad. And I think that like, unfortunately, like a lot of us have been watching these shows for many, many years. I think we watch them for quote unquote, the right reason. But I think there are people who have been watching, you know, from the beginning because they saw Vicky Gumbelson and they were like, I'm like her and I agree with her and I think she has good opinions. And... <laughs> If you're someone who thinks Vicky has good opinions, like, I don't think we get along. I don't like you very much. I think you're probably not a great person. And that's hard. I mean, you have to kind of like, you know, that's what made BravoCon, I think, so interesting is like, you're you're meshing these segments of the, of the fandom, but it's like, there are people who really genuinely believe that like Vicky and... Uh, Ramona and Cameron and all these women are like really speaking truth to power in a way. And that's really hard for me to see. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to realize 
it's hard to realize you watch these shows differently than other people watch these shows. So yeah, because I'm like, remember when, when we're on, on Watch What Happens Live and like Andy did that, that poll during the 2016 election and like, you know, who do you want to be president? And Trump won by like a lot. And it was Andy was really surprised. And it's like, no, I mean, this is a very conservative fandom in a lot of ways. I think that like we're kind of in our bubbles where we, you know, and, and we don't maybe see it, but like, I don't know. I, I, I really feel like one of the reasons why Erica is not being more defended um, by a lot of these people in the fandom is because she's a Democrat. And I feel like if Erica were a Republican and like, she was like, you know, a staunch Republican uh, person accused of bad things, there would be like more white women in the Midwest, like standing up for her. Damn. That's an interesting thought. Wow. That's any, I think you're completely right. Um, I looked up her donation records, so I, I'm confident. In the yeah, no, no, I saw, I saw the donation. I know she definitely went Democrat with, uh, with Tom's money. Um, uh, finally, you went back to, uh, I saw you went back to theater for the first time and you actually saw um, a show. Uh, what was that experience like? Because I was, I was holding my breath for you because I was just, <laughs> uh, I was like, there are certain things like you, you follow somebody on Twitter and you're just like, you'll have like a life moment or something. And I'm like, I wonder what was like that. I mean, what was it? Was it scary to be back in a, a public space with a lot of people? I've seen now several shows. Um, Cause I, you know, they're all, they're all coming back. And I, in my old life went to theater like most nights yeah. of the week. So I'm kind of back to that mode again. Um, it's not as scary as I, th- I thought it would be. I think the main thing is like, you know, New York has been really good about uh, COVID mitigation measures, like at least now. And so like, if I'm going to a show and I know everyone has to be vaccinated and everyone's wearing a mask and mask compliance has actually been really good. Um, I don't know. I, I basically feel fine. I think it's like, I, I think it's an acceptable risk for me where I'm like, this is not no risk at all, but it's like a lot better than just like a random house party with people I don't know. Like I, I can trust the people around me are vaccinated and wearing their masks. Um, the one show that really freaked me out was uh, Sonia Morgan's uh, improv show. You went, wait, you got to, you went to Sonia in the city. I did because Brian Moylan asked me to write about it for his newsletter. So I was like, uh, I, I was like, sure, I will, cause he lives in London. I was like, I will, you know, go to this. Um, and I got to that show and you did ha- you had to be vaccinated. They did check vaccination status, which is good. Uh, that's just like a New York, you know, policy. But the, I don't think you have to wear, a, you don't have to wear a mask indoors, I guess, in a lot of New York space. I don't know what the current rules are. But anyway, we got there and they were like, no masks needed because like we're all vaccinated. And I was like, okay, but like 30 of my friends have breakthrough infections and I'd rather not get one. So I wore my mask the entire time and I, my friend wore her mask and we were the only ones in there wearing <laughs> masks except for the photographer. So that was stressful because I was just like, can you imagine getting COVID at this show of all shows? Like that would be so embarrassing. But by the way, it'd be embarrassing, but it'd also almost be fitting of, I got a breakthrough case of COVID would, from Sonia it Morgan. Would be, it would be fitting. And Sonia's had COVID recently enough that I feel like she's probably fine, but it was, um, how was the performance it was itself? Was it, was it, was it, did it work? I mean, cause I've seen uh-huh. Luann's cabaret two times now. Yeah. And uh, was it comparable? I've seen Luann's Cabaret two times also. Um, and I enjoy, I've seen Sonia perform twice. I saw her do um, sex tips for a oh, woman yeah. was gay man, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> not a good show, but I, I, in that show and in this show, she had multiple moments where she was like, what am I doing next? And I am charmed by that. I like Sonia's mess. I think that I, I enjoy, I enjoyed it. I also feel like, there were like several songs in Sonia's show that were about how great Sonia is and how funny she is on, <laughs> on Real Housewives. 
And it like, I felt like she was kind of playing to like the producers being like, please rehire me. <laughs> and I, I like when Sony's a little bit thirsty. So I, I enjoyed it on that level as well, even with the risk of COVID, but I, I, I didn't get it. So here, here we are. Uh, and finally, uh, you are somebody that I trust uh, with pop culture in general. In fact, you just tweeted this out and I was like, never even thought about watching it, but I was like, maybe I need to watch 911 on Fox. Like oh what other, were, was that a, you were serious. You said that's the I best show. Serious. I said it, well, it's like one of the only network shows that I still watch because it's like ridiculous. It's like Ryan Murphy doing a procedural. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally. Okay, okay. And then you said you just recently started watching Succession and yes. uh, you actually genuinely liked it already. Yeah, no, I love the pilot. I've only watched the first episode. I, I started last night. I'm going to watch another one tonight. I, uh, you know, now that I'm going to theater again, I have to like kind of balance that with like watching TV. So my life is very difficult. Um, but I, uh, you know, this weekend we'll catch up on, on all my stories. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to watch. This has been a real treat for me. You, I mean, I'm older than you, but you really are one of my heroes. Uh, so thank you so much. I hope you'll come back another time because yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg of things that I could talk to you about. How do we support you? I know, go follow you on Twitter. I know you have a sub stack. Is there other things that we need to be on the lookout for to support you with? No, I mean, following me on Twitter is a great thing to do. Um, the sub stack is not, it's going to come back soon because I, uh, as part of my outer critic circle membership and required to be reviewing theater. So I will be writing about theater, but also uh, horror and housewives. And I have some more housewives content coming up soon uh, on, on there and off of there. So follow me on Twitter is the best way to see that. Okay. Go do it. You guys. And uh, tell them you liked him on this show and just really embarrass him. So uh, hopefully we will, we'll talk to you very soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Five, four. Guys, these are the ads I was speaking about, and we have two ads, two companies that have been with me before, and this first one, they are, this is the second time they've been with us, and I love this product, and I love this company. It's Osea. So it is so difficult, you guys, to find clean skincare products that are good for your skin and the planet, 
but also give you the results you want. So luckily, Osea has been making products that do just that for over 25 years. And when it comes to clean beauty, Osea is the pioneer. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers. Now, I'm going to mansplain to all of you ladies what all of these products are. No, it's so funny. I told you about these guys, this company a couple weeks ago when they first uh, were on, and they actually did an onboarding call with me where they went through and explained all of the products and sent me the products. And then I talked to my female friends, uh, my friend Megan, my friend um, Rebecca, and, you know, my friend Rebecca actually already uses these products, but I realize how important it as it is to actually have a skincare regime. And I know you ladies already have yours, but I think that this actually might be a product that you might want to add to it. So Osea is actually known for creating amazing body products as well, like their famous Undaria Algae Body Oil. So the Undaria Algae Body Oil is amazing. Uh, I use it myself now, and it leaves my skin feeling clean and rich, not sticky or oily. And especially, you guys, after I've been sick, this is a product that has actually made me feel better because I felt so gross, like a slug on a rug, and it was horrible. So I know what you're thinking. Body oil? If you've been using body lotion for years, you might be a little wary of body oils. But let me tell you, I'm a convert. It soaks in easily, and it has this really kind of amazing citrus smell. And uh, I actually, I can even smell this. Because remember, I had COVID over the holidays, and it took a majority of my smell away. I can actually smell this. And I can't tell you how soft and smooth my skin feels after I put it on. In fact, if you see me in public, say, Ryan, can I feel your skin? And I will let you feel the smoothness, the silkiness of my skin. So Osea's products are clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, climate-neutral, created with sustainability sourced seaweed, and made in California. And also, there's a motorcycle that's driving right outside my house. But also, listen to that. Clean, vegan, cruelty-free, climate-neutral, created with sustainability sourced seaweed, and made in good old California. Those are so many important things right there. Vegan and cruelty-free is huge. Climate neutral, I mean, that's what we've got to be doing in the future. And this is a company that supports all of this. So you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. So experience your new favorite clean skincare line with a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order with promo code SOGOOD. Finally, a company has not used so bad, they've used so good as our promo code. That's S-O-G-O-O-D at O-S-E-A-Malibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $50 get free shipping. You are going to want it all. Go to O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com and use code so good. Hell yeah, you guys. And also, this podcast is a uh, sponsored by, um, proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Um, goals are so important, and this is something that you can actually talk about your therapist with. Um, it's important to actually have somebody that you can actually speak out loud your experience of life, of what you're trying to accomplish, of what you're trying to get through, of what is holding you back. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. 
And let me be clear, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. So there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. In fact, I get so many people now that like will DM me or email and they're listening like, like Belgium, Italy. And I'm just like, whoa, but also you could actually use this service there. You can log into your account anytime and you can send a message to your therapist. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It is more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. Those are two huge things. We should not have to ever be priced out of getting help. And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash so bad. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for So Bad It's Good listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash so bad. That's betterhelp.com forward slash S-O-B-A-D. You guys, that is the commercials for the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Ronald Richards. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are so lucky to have the guests that we have today. There are only a handful of people that I would get, actually get up at seven in the morning to speak to. And we are about to speak to one of those uh, people right now. As you know, on this show and actually as Bravo fans, uh, we have been obsessed with a case uh, with a show itself, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And of course, I'm speaking about Erica Jane, um, which you know how infuriated I've been this season. Uh, we get to talk with somebody today that uh, we're going to clear up a little bit of misconceptions. We're going to find out exactly what's going on. Uh, we're going to see exactly what he is doing with this case. Uh, I believe he is a special counsel for the Girardi Keese BK case uh, directly relating to Erica Jane herself, but he is actually a practicing attorney. If you follow him on Twitter, you just know how knowledgeable he is. The Michael Avenatti case, he's dipped into Jen Shaw, uh, but let's just get into it. Ronald Richards, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I guess the first question is, how sick are you of dealing with housewives at this point? Well, I don't get sick of it because they are interesting. Uh, it's just sometimes hard to watch the acting versus reality when I know that a lot of what is going on is not consistent with reality. But look, it's entertainment and everyone seems to like it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's it, it just it's fascinating to me that I mean, now even FBI, I think, might have a special division that just watches Housewives. You actually have to watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills every week now. I do. Yeah. And I also transcribe the statements and then uh, think about what type of outtakes I want to get. And I also have to look at what is sort of uh, theatrical statements versus non-scripted actor statements versus what is really tangible and bankable. Yeah. Now, and I want to clear this up. I always say this. Uh, this is a comedy podcast, but we actually get to dive in deep sometimes. And I want this to be one of those times because at the end of the day, this really is. And I always try to clear this is about the victims like this really is. And and that's part of your job, right? You are trying to uh, find out what assets are there to be able to get money back to the victims. Is that correct? That's 
basically correct on the big picture, but technically I don't work for the victims. I work for the trustee who has been appointed by the court to get assets back for, of course, the victims, but there's also attorney creditors that were supposed to get their fees and their victims of those defaults. And um, there's people that have lent a lot of money to the Girardi Keys firm that are also creditors and they're entitled to have their claims analyzed as well. Now, you've been working on this this for how long now? Well, I've been reporting on it since last September, October, I believe. It's been over a year, um, but I've been working as the official special counsel to the trustee for about maybe uh, four to five months. And I mean, there are so many questions that I'm so curious about, but how close are, I mean, like, how long does this process take? I was just reading, you You had mentioned on your Twitter the other day, you, uh, Robert Durst finally got convicted uh, from the Jinx, the HBO show. And what, what did that take, seven years? And you actually had a confession? Like, how mm-hmm. long, how slow do the wheels of justice, I mean, like, how long of a process are we looking at? Because we're near the end of the season, and I have a feeling this is nowhere near ending for you. That's a good question. It's not ideally the same as a murder case like Mr. Durst, where there was a stop of the trial due to COVID and the, and the judge decided to keep the same jurors. Um, the, 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 the issues are different here. We're not going to spend seven years investigating this. And I've already narrowed down where the money went. So I don't need any more time at all. That's why I don't know what the holdup is. I mean, <laughs> it's, there's no dispute that the law firm spent $25 million on Erica Girardi. That's, that's not even an issue. I'm, I'll defend that all day long. And there's no dispute that she deducted it from her tax returns um, that she filed with her husband, uh, most of that money. So I don't know what the issue is. I don't need to trace every penny. I just need to understand what happened to it. And I already know that. Well, so we're laymen, though. So take us through that is that you actually have proof of this. So why isn't this just a open and shut case? Why? I mean, the thing that's frustrating, I think, to a lot of the viewers is that, wait, so we're pretty much trying. Erica Jane is pretty much just trying to fight to keep her jewelry and keep her lifestyle going when this actually there's no dispute that this money came from uh, illegal gotten gains. Well, uh, okay, let's unpack what you just said. First of all, I, I'm not, I don't take people's quote jewelry or take things back. Um, I just get judgments. Um, there's two ways to get a judgment. If you have specific money that was stolen from somebody or that was improperly transferred from to somebody that, that then is a, uh, you know, whose husband or a, is related to a bankrupt debtor, you can un- unwind those transfers and, and claw it back into the estate. That's not really what I'm going after. I'm going after, hey, you had a money on account with the estate. It's documented in the books with the estate. You you banked it as a receivable. You deducted it as a receivable. You deducted it as an expense. I think um, now you just got to pay some of it back. She's tried to make the case more complicated. I'm trying to simplify it, believe it or not. It's really simple. If I gave you $25 million, you basically paid all your bills for 12 years, and then it was determined that I was taking money from widows and orphans and other clients and creditors, do you think you just get to keep it all? Do you need to be a lawyer to figure that out? Or See, that, 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 
See, that's what it almost gaslights me because it gaslights the audience where I'm like, what what part of this aren't we getting? What part of this and and what confuses me? And I don't know if it confuses you as well. And you can actually bring Jen Shaw into this as well, is that, you know, you had the first episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this season where they show Erica Jane's overflow closet. They show all of the shoes, all of the jewelry. And these are the things that we love from our housewives, but we don't love it so much when we find that it is potentially gotten on the backs of victims and orphans and widows. I mean, does it sometimes astound you watching these shows and seeing what they'll actually put on screen to supposedly impress the audience? But in the end, you're like, well, this is all documented now. Yeah, and I, well, that is true. It helps document it. But, but look, used clothes and used purses. I mean, okay, even at, let's say it's $200,000 of stuff. All right. I, I don't know. Let's say it's $800,000 of stuff. I, I'd rather not get that stuff and have to do it another auction and sell it it's much easier to say look keep your stuff but you can't keep 25 million dollars of expenses being paid on your behalf and, and so the defenses are well it was paid on behalf of a personal service company ej global that's not a defense because you own the entire company and the taxing authorities for years have put you on notice it's not a real business you can't deduct your lifestyle expenses, your private jets, all your luxury items, and then just claim, hey, it's a it's a business expense. I mean, come on, you, you're everyone's smart enough to know that when the when the focus is on you, that's not going to fly. So I'm just trying to basically address each defense and get her to rationally realize that we need to resolve the case. Like, uh, there, it's not going to end well at trial. It it wouldn't even go to trial because. You would file a summary judgment motion. You, there's no defense to the position. Well, I didn't know that Tom was basically paying all my bills. Well, there is notice. You were on notice because you signed all the tax returns deducting the expenses. So it's kind of silly. I'd rather not have her spend more money on legal fees. She's already blown over half a million dollars, honestly, on nothing. She's yeah, not exactly. a very good monitor of lawyers. See, that's the frustrating part, too, is that she's that's what I'm saying. Why spend all this money to defend something that is potentially indefensible and that you could actually I mean, the other misconception I wanted to ask you about is a lot of you see on Twitter or you see all the uh, discourse like she's going to jail. And that's not it. You're you're not trying to put Erica Jane in jail. That's not even there's not any kind of is there any kind of criminal um, uh, charges that are going to be levied against her even? I mean, I mean this is about I mean, recovering I money. I don't think she's done anything criminal. I mean, I think she's, uh, you know, again, everybody can argue the tax returns were, are, you know, not the greatest tax returns I would file, uh, but, but I'm not suggesting in any way she's done something criminal. I just think that, why are we making this complicated? Your husband's firm paid $25 million of expenses and said it was a loan. You deducted those expenses on your corporate tax return, which was filed with your with your basically personal return because you owned 100% of your company why are we making this combo do you think you just get to keep the 25 million dollars of benefits that were paid i mean do you think that's realistic if you do then great we'll go to trial i'll file a summary judgment motion i mean i don't think anybody thinks that's realistic at this point yeah, it, it definitely does not seem realistic. But in your head, where do you see this ending? Could this end next week? She's like, hey, I want to work with you. In fact, I saw on Twitter, you had even offered a deal that expired, I believe, a couple of days ago where you were going to, for every, what, for every 
25,000 she returned, you were going to give 10% or something like that. Oh, like, oh yeah. I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah. I first had a 10%. I was going to tack on a premium because she kept saying, I'm all about the fees. Like this is my only case. It's so laughable. I have 80 files. Again, I'm too old to like brag about myself. So I'm never going to do it, but it's silly. Like if you just went to Westlaw and see how many published opinions my office has, it's almost laughable that, um, you, you would, you would actually think that, um, that you would actually think that, uh, I needed one more case. So the question really is, uh, what I was going to do with her is if she returned the money voluntarily, we were going to tack on another 10% to add it. Then I changed it because it was getting too complicated for the viewers. And I said to myself, let's address the offer. So what happened is I was being, uh, she was basically saying, I'm all about the fees. I mean, it's so silly. I don't care about the fees. I, I didn't take this case to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of attorney time on someone that I know what they have left in the bank. I mean, I'm not going to, I took it because it was the right type of case of my tenacity to basically get her to resolve the case. It's not because I just felt I could be effective and also it was a privilege to work for such an outstanding trustee. So I then said, it's not about my fees. Just return the money by the deadline and I'll waive all my fees. I mean, I'm allowed to waive my fees and work for free. I was happy to do that. Figured, oh, okay. okay. Maybe she'll punish me and return a million bucks. And I just lost $400,000 in fees. I wanted her to punish me, believe it or not. But she did it because she's so stubborn, in my opinion, that she just wasn't going to return the money. Everyone was like, why would this lawyer put a settlement on Twitter? And I tried to explain this. It wasn't a settlement offer. It was just an offer. I'm allowed to offer anything I want. I'm an American citizen. I can offer things. I'm allowed to talk. You can't muzzle me. I'm entitled to speak my mind on my own Twitter feed if I want. I mean, or people that work the feed. I mean, it's a free-flowing First Amendment protected bastion of speech so i simply said hey you know what return the money punish me hard and whip me into shape and i won't take a penny but she didn't want to do that so now i said you know of course i have to spend more money on legal fees more money opposing her meritless motions and if she wants to litigate and have me take discovery i'm fine with it i mean but i was trying to like cut, cut it short for the victims now, when you see her go back and forth with you on Twitter, is it, I mean, part of this, I mean, is she trying to play, I mean, in speculation, some kind of PR game, which I don't understand what she's doing, but she'll try to go back and forth with you. And does that sometimes surprise you? Or are you happy about that? Because she's kind of like uh, showing her ass a little bit, allegedly. Well, I don't know who's going back and forth with me. I mean, I don't know if she works her own social media pages. I mean, that's a big assumption. Like th that's what they found out the hard way when they went to court to try to take incomplete Twitter feeds from my Twitter feed. I mean, you don't know who's working my Twitter feed from my office or who's running her social media page. I mean, people, the internet is not an ideal transcript of events. You know, everybody knows it could be manipulated. You can, uh, you, so, someone could put something out on a, on a feed that then they cut. And in this case, I mean, when she responds to stuff, I never respond to her directly. I just sort of quote what she says and I respond to that because it's no different than her sending a press release. People get Twitter confused. And let me just clear this up for the viewers. 
I could go to Central Park in New York City and say, these are my views. I could send out a press release. I could stand at the top of the Empire State Building. I can go to downtown LA on a street corner. Twitter is no different. It's just a, a throwing stuff out there to the public forum for a discussion. But it's not like under oath testimony. It's just, it's just speech that is unverified and it just triggers responses. It's not like you're locked into your Twitter page because it's on your Twitter page, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, being a lawyer aside, are you sometimes aghast at, you know, whoever's posting for her? She's posting lingerie shots. In fact, uh, PK uh, and Mauricio from Beverly Hills this week said, you know, it's not a good look when you you know, your legs are in your air. You know, like it isn't a good look when there's victims involved. Does it sometimes kind of just like, wow, I've never seen somebody take this tactic of of continuing to act like none of this exists? Yes, I, I've tweeted and publicly commented many times that she's tone deaf. She absolutely, I mean, but I, I don't know why uh, she doesn't seem to ever make a, it's, it's strange because like Ruth Madoff and other spouses of people that have done something wrong, they handled these things recognizing, like it doesn't matter whether she knew or didn't know. That's why people get so confused. She spent the money. And that money wasn't hers to spend. It does, her state of mind is not material. What, what is material is, did she spend this money and give nothing for it? That's what, look, Ryan, if I gave you $25 million over 12 years and you didn't do anything for me, for my company, do you think you just get to keep the money? Like, do you need to be a lawyer to tell you that or no? No, I mean, that's what the, the, the I mean, and, and what, what is your, you know, if, if these are gifts, say a quote unquote gifts from Tom Girardi, you don't get to keep those just because they're gifts, right? If they're you, bought you, with you, money, that's illegal. Well, okay. L let's stay away from whether it's legal or illegal okay, or okay, whether okay. it's okay. it just, it's just easier because that's going to, I don't want Erica to claim I said she said she received illegal money. I, it doesn't matter to me how she received it. But the issue is consideration. If it was a gift from the law firm, then you file what's called a gift tax return. Okay, you can't just it, it, go back in time and pretend what never happened. And let's just talk about what did happen. She had 12 years of expenses paid. The law firm carried it as a receivable. And those expenses were deducted from their personal income tax return as legitimate business expenses that were then later disallowed by certain taxing authorities for certain tax years. So that's what happened. In this particular case, she never gave anything for that money. It was just given to her sort of, I can't, as a, as a loan that's never gonna be repaid. So when she was spending that money, you're right. She has a right to never ask, hey, how am I getting this money? She has a right to do, to play ostrich, to have willful blinders on, everybody has the right. But that doesn't mean you get immunity when uh, there's a bankruptcy and the bankruptcy trustee special counsel says, it's time to return some of that money. We're like, people get so confused, saying innocent until proven guilty. She didn't know, my husband spends all the money. I don't ever ask him how he gets it. And no one's blaming you, but you have to return the money. Okay, that's the bottom line. You have to return it. You don't just get the windfall. That's the what people need to understand. You don't get a windfall. 
And you point out on your Twitter too, is that she is one of the, uh, you, I think you called it a mactress, um, uh, you know, is that Erica Jane, the character is not made really any money through that character. It has been a, uh, you know, never in, in the black, uh, in terms of bringing money in with the Erica Jane character. No, I just, I felt that the business that he created with her, that she owned hundred percent of the LLC, the personal service corporation, EJ global was merely a tax vehicle that deducted their lifestyle expenses and had him pay with her as filing a joint return. They didn't file individual returns. It's a joint return. Basically they paid no taxes because of all the business losses. I mean, look, uh, she, it seems like Tom Girardi spent a lot of money on her mattress career, but it, it, from a business standpoint, it was a loser. It wasn't a real business. It never made any money. And, and, and I don't, you know, people came back to me online and said, Hey, how many entertainers do you know make actual money and, and don't they deduct a lot? And I said, not for over a decade, a taxing authority is not going to consider a real business that always loses money because Ryan, Think about it. You're uh, talking to me right now from somewhere. Imagine if your radio podcast or your podcast never made any money and you deducted your rent forever. Okay. <laughs> At some point, it's not a business. It's just a tax. Of, it's a tax vehicle. And unfortunately, the government doesn't allow that. That otherwise, people would never pay any taxes. They would just deduct everything through their LLCs, and nobody would pay taxes forever because the business would never make any money. It's not like a startup where initially, you know, like there's investors and the investors invest, you know, 50, $60 million and the startups first five years in business are losers like, you know, Twitter or some other uh, startup before it starts turning a profit. That's the business model. But they're meanwhile employing a bunch of people and generating taxes for the government. That's not what was going on with EJ Global. This has been a loser since day one, as far as from a tax standpoint and a profit loss standpoint. You, you have to have an extreme amount of passion, I'm guessing, to do what you do. It, what, what gets you up every morning? I mean, like, really, honestly, you, you're involved in so many uh, cases and, and judgments and things like this. How do you keep going every day? Is this just what excites you? Because it seems like you're going, uh, you're, you're going uphill every day trying to get these things to happen and to go victims' ways. I mean, how incredibly frustrating, or is this just something that you are so passionate about that you can do this every day and it never matters? what happens well i mean first of all she made the cardinal error of trying to get rid of me that just gets the client totally <laughs> in love with me in the sense that not personally but you know like if you try to ding someone else's lawyer you're telling the other side i'm afraid of your lawyer like it makes no that's like a bad tactic i never try to get rid of opposing counsel because you just basically push them closer to the client because the client's wondering why are they trying to get rid of my lawyer i must have made a good choice and then secondly you know uh, she she kind of does make it personal and she tries to restrict my speech or, you know, attempted to. And I think that's a mistake because I'm going to then defend it even harder becomes the file I'm looking at the most where I wouldn't look at this file every day. But as far as what gets me up in the morning, I mean, look, I charge a, a high minimum entry fee to, to take cases. It's not like I take cases that people call up. We screen them. And I limit the type of cases we take. So I'm only working on cases where people understand, you know, and have a big financial commitment to paying our office to handle their matters. So that sort of 
uh, sifts away most of the people that would not be a good fit. We do take some cases that don't have a financial component. They're you know, a, a public service component or others. It just depends on the type of case. But what gets me up in the morning really is just sort of uh, the passion for targeting a certain set of facts and never changing the dynamic. And that's what her lawyer will learn about me is that I have a story and I'm sticking to it, which I think is, al is always a good, it, 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 that's always a great way to get, take a case. You kind of have a theme and my theme is really simple. Please return the money. You don't get to keep the 25 million. I mean, that's it, just return the money. Like, and people are like so offended. Like, how could you just ask her to return the money? Why would she return the money? There's no judgment yet. And I'm like, I, 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 sometimes I read these comments and I just laugh internally. Why can't you, have you ever heard of a case where the lawyer called the other side and, or just put out there, just return the money? It happens every day. Why, why do you have to go to you know, court when it's obvious you need to return some of this money? Yeah, I mean, it, it really, and that's the confusing part, I think, to all Bravo fans is that why is she spending a half a million dollars on her lawyers, uh, knowing that this, I mean, we, we've all seen a lot of the evidence now, which I find has like weirdly, sadly hysterical that Bravo fans in this day and age have to be now more up on the law than we ever have before. In fact, I believe we're creating lawyers now with every new Housewives iteration there is. I mean, we have Jen Shaw coming up and I mean, by the way, how often then I, I, we saw you, uh, I believe on Twitter, you had mentioned because uh, Lisa Rinna has gone hard for Erica Jane and I don't know why she's inserted herself so hard sometimes. Times. Um, but you've even, I mean, like, why would anybody want to uh, stand up for Erica Jane at this point when I feel like that shines a spotlight onto them and their business dealings? Because I'm starting to think that nobody earns real money anymore. It's all like, you know, nefarious in some way. Well, it, it, it is. There's a lot of charlatans on that show. Uh, <laughs> the only the only one I can tell you for sure has money is Kathy Hilton. Um, you know, so she's she puts she gives the show credibility, at least from that perspective. But I mean, a lot most of them don't live in Beverly Hills. Uh, they you know, some of them do make money, but they spend it all to, to keep up with the Joneses on the show. I mean, it's it's hard to understand, like the, 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 they create their own content and, and sort of uh, sort of materials and merchandise um, and. They it, it becomes a runaway train. I've had close friends on a million dollar listing that got off of it. I've been on that show twice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I see how it takes over their life because um, you start to perpetuate the content um, for the for the production company, and and you never basically uh, it, it becomes a sort of a driven aspect of it. Uh, is it frustrating to sometimes deal with uh, Bravo fans? I mean, we can be a, um, I, I, you sometimes just see the the back and forth. And if you're trying to stay on one track and retrieve money, but sometimes, I mean, I see people will try to go back and forth with you and sometimes even try to make you the bad guy. Is that frustrating when I believe your goal is a very simple one? Uh, yes, it's it, it does hurt my feelings sometimes uh, when people are like nasty. I try not to block many people. Uh, uh, my office won't let me block anybody on Instagram uh, for whatever reason that, that I've been overruled on that. Twitter, since it's really uh, not something that, uh, you know, I, I'm allowed to block a few people when they're just 
over the top in invectives. I try not to. I had someone over the weekend ask me if they could unblock me. They said they'll behave. So I unblocked them. <laughs> I said, yeah, you, I mean, you can be critical. But silly that even sounds that you're having to deal. I mean, but how much of law and what you do now is involved in social media? And especially when you're dealing with housewives yeah. and TV, is social media essential now to your job? Yeah. And I tell people that this case has a public component. And, and I don't view Twitter, by the way, as social media. I simply view it as a forum, a public forum for, for, for everyone to talk about a statement or a, a position. It's just that if you have what, what we would call a troll and they're just basically, you know, going way beyond what is even aggressive discourse, I, you, you have to cut that because there, there's always going to be, in, if you spoke to a crowd, there's always going to be a, a heckler or a crazy person in the front row that that's going to throw the water on you. So Twitter, you have people that just will not stop morning, noon and night. And so the, those are the people, the rare people that I have to block. But um, I think that's I don't like using the word social media for Twitter. I just think it's a platform uh, for people to get a statement out or to get an idea out and invite comments. And also, in this case, it's 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 laughable. I laugh when her lawyer tries to tell a judge, oh, he posts on Twitter when she has 2.8 million followers on Instagram and 451,000 followers on Twitter. And she's worried about my Twitter account. Like, and then she hammers me, you know, whenever she wants. And I'm not, and I just respond to her tweets sometimes. So everyone knows about the false narratives that she generates. But I, again, it's just, honestly, it's like, I don't only tweet about her. I have a bunch of different. Oh, no, you, I mean, I I've learned a lot about, I mean, you were in the Michael Avenatti case. I I've, I've learned a lot about through you. You've commented on Jen Shaw, you've commented politically. uh, And I don't want to anybody listening. It's not just Erica Jane stuff. He is a wide breadth of information on his Twitter account. So I think it's invaluable in that sense. And also Um, dolphin massacres in the Faroe islands. I mean, I've been very instrumental and I, I, just got back from seeing dolphins in their natural habitat. I mean, there's important stuff that uh, I bring out from a, a, a perspective that people wouldn't, I mean, a lot of people just don't know what goes on in the world. So I just, in brief brief sound bites are, you know, uh, basically slivers. I just wanted people to know the second largest super pod in human history, they killed 1400 dolphins. It's important for people to know they should not go to Denmark until they change their policies. Like it's important people know what goes on in this world um, about different things. And so I, I address them because legally, you know, there may be litigation over some of these things. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, your, your account definitely seems full of passion and information. Um, how far back has your office went in terms of Beverly Hills episodes? Uh, Erica Jane said this season, uh, you know, I'd like to know where the money went. And I think all viewers were like, look at your face, look at your clothing, look at this. In fact, we've spent eight seasons watching Erica Jane brag about her wealth. We've seen gifts being given on screen of Mark Chagall paintings and things like that. I mean, do you guys go back to every one of her seasons and just document or, or how does that work for you guys? Well, we, there's an expression in law called low hanging fruit. I mean, I just pulled up her Amex charges. I mean, why do I have to go? There's 14 million right there. I mean, and then the receivables, every penny paid for her was documented on the law firm receivables. So why do I have to go to the Beverly Hills housewives? I have her charges. She, the card was issued to her, not to anybody else. 
the woman spends money. Okay, <laughs> I agree. She spent the glam. I mean, there, there, there's one thing that Erica is not is being very accurate about. She spent a lot of money. All right. That's I mean, let's face it. She was an expensive uh, housewife. Um, who is paying her legal bills at this point? That's a great question. Um, she won't tell me the, uh, whether it's one of her accounts she controls or a benefactor. Um, she. I, I know that she's going to have to tell me I've been using it as sort of a leverage, so to speak, in the sense that if she doesn't want to tell me she could settle, we don't have to get into formal discovery, but I do need to trace down. I'm not interested, by the way, in exposing her benefactor, but I do have an obligation to make sure it's not her own money that was just moved offshore or moved into an account into somebody else's name. I do need to make sure that like if it's some wealthy person that's assisting her, that I track it down, that it's that they're not holding her assets or assets of the estate. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, exactly. But there, you know, and that's what I'm saying. There's there's rumors that she has a, a new boyfriend now. There's rumors that's and I, I I don't understand. I mean, it made me laugh. She I believe these are stage shots, but she got a shot of her at TJ Maxx in Pasadena last week uh, that I think Backrid, the uh, the company, uh, sent out there. I mean, is she making money calling the paparazzi on herself at this point, too? Yeah, well, that I, I don't know, but you can make money calling the paparazzi on yourself. You can give them an exclusive and then they take the photos and sell them. Um, I don't know what she's specifically doing. Um, I know that one thing everyone should understand Okay. Again, people misconstrued this. I've lived in LA since 1967. Nobody drives from like West Hollywood area to Pasadena, which is a 20 mile drive to go to a, a, a TJ Maxx when there's one a mile away from you. I mean, I, I love TJ Maxx. By the way, <laughs> TJ Maxx is one of my favorite credit cards. So am I faulting her for going to TJ Maxx? No way. They give you five points for every dollar you spend. Okay. Our family loves TJ Maxx. Just so you know that. That's that part I love that she's been there. People that are successful go to TJ Maxx. So I don't know where that came from. This is my point is that I don't care. You don't drive out there. That was my first thing. You don't bring an assistant to TJ Maxx. That's just tone deaf. And the third criticism I had about the TJ Maxx is I can assure you the pops are not sitting outside of TJ Maxx in Pasadena <laughs> waiting for you or any other celebrity. So it's okay. You staged it. I'm not upset about it. Like, so you staged your shopping. That happens every day in Hollywood. It's okay. But you know, everyone got fixated on the wrong things on that. But look, uh, I don't know how that helps you that you're going to TJ Maxx, Petco, and, and how this is all going on. I only pointed out the Pasadena portion because I felt it was staged. And what people don't realize is the parking lot at that TJ Maxx is much better for pictures than the like than one in the in the in the Beverly collection. Um I, I mean, that's yeah, you're you're dead. You're dead on right. Um, uh, you're uh, Erica Jane specifically with the trustee. Um, but how involved? I mean, you have to know the Tom Girardi case, I'm guessing, backwards and forwards as well. Right. Sure. I commented on that before I got hired for this assignment, which people should remember. I'm only authorized to pursue her. So when you send me hate mail, why aren't I going after Tom? Um, yes, I can't. Okay, and he already has a trustee and a conservator. There's nothing to go after. You can't sue him. Okay, number one, he's not available 
is a witness because he has a conservator. And then uh, to address the other hate mail, why aren't I going after her mistress, his mistresses? Well, let's be honest. I haven't seen any money going to the mistresses. I don't even know who the mistresses are. And I can assure you, um, there, if, there, if there was a big pot of flow to a mistress, I maybe get appointed and handle that. But right now, I see only one person that got all the money. And the first initial is E and the last initial is G. Well, uh, Mr. Richards, I do have the uh, I, I was the the winner of the lingerie from the Tom Girardi estate sale uh, from the office. So if you ever need that in anything, I, I'm, I'm happy to hand that over to oh, you. Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, but also you had pointed that out that they his office did actually uh, do the sale. And I believe they raised like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which is interesting. When I went and picked up my quote unquote winnings, they said it had raised eight million dollars, which I, I, I was fascinated to read that article in The Sun of that it actually brought in only a couple of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I mean, Alyssa Miller was left with 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 nothing in that office. And through her fantastic leadership and creativity, she put together an auction. And I mean, look, it netted for the estate over two hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. You're not going to find that on the street from basically selling office junk. I'm going to tell you, when a lawyer leaves an office, typically everything hits the garbage can. Okay, it's not like used equipment has any value and memorabilia. So the fact that they were able to get $200,000, let me just tell you, that would pay for all of Thomas Girardi's personal uh, uh, trustees, lawyers, legal fees are a good portion of it. And when they sold the house uh, or the La Quinta condo, you'll see that uh, 350 went to legal fees. I mean, every bit helps. 200000 is a lot of money. And that's just one facet. There's dozens and dozens of cases that have been settled and money's coming in. So she's done an amazing job in putting that money um, together. So, I mean, you're just trying to collect or a portion of $25 million, correct? Yeah, that's all I'm trying to do. Obviously, she's not going to give me $25 million, but I mean, why can't we settle on something? There's, when you go to court, okay, there's no lawyer that I know, and, not, and including her lawyer, who's a very good lawyer, we get along really well. He's not telling her, I'm going to win 100%, okay? So let's just say... He says we have a 80% chance of winning, which in court, by the way, everyone, it's 50-50. I'll give everyone a little secret. If there's a jury or uh, undecided facts, it's 50-50. But let's just pretend we're in an academic world and he's guaranteed her he has an 80% chance of winning and a 20% chance of losing. You then allocate your risk. So 20% of $25 million is $5 million. You can pay it over time. I'm just saying... There is always a settlement number because nothing is 100% in court. You always have yeah. chances of losing. So, uh, and that's a ridiculous allocation, by the way. She probably has, you know, a greater than 50% chance of losing. I mean, no, uh, she's not a sympathetic defendant. No, I mean, uh, obviously not. Um, each week, though, it seems like her stories, there's little uh, inconsistencies and things like that, which I, I know you've noticed. You you brought up the TJ Maxx in Pasadena, and I was the first thing that set me off was she said she said goodbye to Tom by driving him to his office, then going back to Pasadena, then moving out that day without telling him, which I was like, if you live in Los Angeles, you're not driving. Like, there's no part of me that ever believed she was dropping Tom Girardi off at work, like a, uh, like a dropping a kid off at school. It just didn't make sense to me at all. I mean, but each week there seems to be these inconsistencies at this point, you said, you know, you have her, her Amex bill, but 
I mean, you have to, can any of these inconsistencies be used against her at this point as actually hindering a case and potential uh, lies? Well, that's assuming that the whole case was about her credibility. And I, I keep trying to keep it simple, stupid. Um, that, that's called KISS. Uh, I don't care about her credibility. I just want to know, did you have an Amex card? Yes or no? Answer is yes. Did, did someone else use your Amex card? Yes or no? No. And were these charges, ben did you benefit from these charges? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so I don't, that's the end of my presentation. I mean, I don't need to get into whether she's credible or not, unless she's going to say that someone else was using the card issued to Erica Girardi, which I have, then I'll just show all the signature pages and all the types of charges. If you read the charges, they're all for her. Then why does this take so long? Why can't we just get this over with today? Like what, I mean, how long can she keep this going with the, the lawyers that she has? Do you see what she's doing? In fact, like, oh, I know exactly what she's doing. Uh, she's trying to drag this out for six months to a year. I mean, why is this yeah. going to take so long? Well, there was a little bit of a skirmish over, you know, she wanted to get rid of me. Then we, then I hadn't filed a complaint yet. So I was doing a bunch of 2004 exams, getting documents. I wanted to make sure you know, get, kind of get an idea what is she really making right now and sort of figure out how am I going to, you know, what's realistic here? You know, if she's making $25 million a year, then I would ask for the full $25 million back. But I kind of wanted to see what's the current post-separation earnings. What are we doing? Now I understand that. And then um, I've never posted, by the way, anything that she's provided me in a formal discovery or through 2004. I mean, then her lawyer represented all the witnesses that I took that I issued orders for documents for and depositions. She paid her lawyer to represent her divorce attorney, her business manager. So that slowed things down immensely because he basically had to go through every document that took a while. I gave him extensions. Lawyers give each other extensions. You know, we don't make it personal. And then I had to file a lawsuit. And then he wrote me a letter basically threatening me with sanctions and other things and wanted me to change some things. Uh, I ignored most of them, but I got rid of two minor things, punitive damages, because I don't want to punish her. I just want the money back. So I don't want more than what she spent. And I got rid of the attorney's fees request in my amended complaint. And then, you know, he, you can't take discovery once you have a pending action until you have a status conference. So that'll be in about three weeks. Then, you know, we'll take discovery if she doesn't want to resolve the case. I mean, he'll probably want to file a, a motion to dismiss the case to get some narrative out and then that that she gets to keep the money because the charges were paid to her LLC. I mean, lawyers file stuff all the time that makes no sense, but that you're, you know, you can't get upset, Ryan, when people have a lawyer. I mean, people have a lawyer, they file motions. I mean, it's just, it's just part of a process. That's all I could tell you. I mean, also, Ryan, one last thing is I went out of town I had to go to New York to help another victim of a housewife. I had some East Coast work I had to do. And so, you know, I didn't want stuff being filed when I was out of town. Uh, one time her lawyer uh, wasn't feeling well, so I gave him an extension. I mean, people, life comes up. So we're not working on this case 24-7.
I mean, there has to be breaks. You know what I'm saying? It's not. But I love I, us Bravo fans, though. I love that you say keep it, keep it simple, stupid kiss. But I love that we're like we're we're we're, we're every day, twenty four seven. And you're right. Like you, you know, there are life goes on and things like that. But I think we're now it's almost pitchforks raised where we're like we're waiting for the end of the season because we think it's going to be the end of this case, and it's just not going to be that way. Also, you just mentioned uh, another housewife. What do you what do you what are you regarding to in that in that which housewife? There, well, there was a woman that contacted us that was victimized by a guy that was on Real Housewives of New York, I believe. I posted about it. It's on my Twitter page. I forgot the name right now um, because it was a couple weeks ago. But there she has a judgment against this guy from Gemco Olive, Gemco Olive Company, and he uh, ripped her off and she got a judgment and we were going to help her uh, basically enter the judgment at no cost to her, just the filing fees she was going to pay. And so we're just analyzing that. And um, what I was trying to explain is, yeah, I get a lot of uh, messages. Hey, you haven't posted anything in two days on the Girardi matter. What's going on? And I'm like <laughs> laughing. I'm like, nobody works on a case every second of every day. First of all, the attorney fees would be through the roof. But second of all, again, my colleague on the other side has other files. So if he tells me, look, I got three briefs due, I'm not going to jam them up and make him deal with this case. If he asks you for an extension, I'll give him one. I mean, it's not personal. Um, I know we got to be wrapping up here and this has just been so highly informative and thank you for spending so much time. Uh, you guys also, I know uh, you've covered this before is that you represented Russell Armstrong a long time ago. So this was definitely not your first foray into housewives and you guys can look up all of that stuff. We don't have time for that. Um, just a couple more things though, in terms of five minutes, take your time. Okay. Well, in terms of Tom mm-hmm. Girardi in you know, he was living in the Pasadena mansion and now they are saying that he has moved into like Belmont living facility uh, for the elderly. But I don't know. I'm so paranoid now that I don't know what to believe about anything. Is he living there? Is he still living in the mansion? Do you have any information about that? Well, it's interesting because I've had investigators go by the house and I just see a Tesla parked in the driveway for days and days. So I have no idea. I've never seen him at the house. Um, I, I had doubts whether you, I've had the staff at the Belmont say to my investigators, there's nobody, he's not here. You're free to come and go from that location. However, I did see a filing in the conservator court three days ago, which said that his brother said under penalty of perjury that his address is now at the Belmont. So I guess he lives there. But when, that's his residence address. That, he's not really saying my brother lives there. He's saying that's the address he's using. So I don't know. But also, but I, I'm assuming he's there sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, also, that. also, he he is an older man. Two things can be true. He can, I mean, but he, you know, he did a lot of these the, these crimes over the last four decades. I mean, when you study up on Tom Girardi himself, does it really blow you away as a lawyer yourself how much he abused this system? And it, it goes so deep as into the California State Bar, uh, you know, police, all of this stuff. I mean, it's got it really does seem shocking uh, the the lengths he has gone through for four decades. Well, yeah, because Tom Girardi, it was basically not a a crook for most of his career, except he didn't pay a lot of people, but he was always, always able to cover those claims. And like with any, like, look, Bernie Madoff for years brought people amazing returns, even though he was running a Ponzi scheme. I'm not, Girardi wasn't running a quote Ponzi scheme. He was 
basically borrowing from Peter to pay Paul is the simplest way to do it, but he always paid. Eventually, or resolved it, or threatened the other side into not publicly outing him. He was very good at containment. Um, and in that business, by the way, these PI lawyers carry a huge debt load until these cases settle. So I think that he was given a little slack because if he would say that, look, I got, I got, you know, 50 cases they're about to settle, uh, and you'll, I'll clear my debt with you. And then he did clear it, maybe six months late. He had some credibility. I mean, this is a, a very well-respected lawyer that was a good lawyer. I mean, you, you got to understand Tom Girardi was a real lawyer and a good one. So the issue is, a no lawyer would want to basically criticize him. I started criticizing him once I read the, the Boeing file and the yeah. docket. Then I felt like I could defend what was going on in that case, and I could basically defame him and then use truth as a defense. I was, I felt like I was on solid ground, just like when I outed Michael Avenatti in the beginning before he got indicted, I felt like I was okay there too, because I was, you know, relying on court positions, et cetera. But from Girardi's perspective, um, I, I just think that it, it was not believable that he would, you know, violate the holy grail of no-nos and that's take the client settlement money and actually do the crazy things we saw on that documentary where he was telling the Rugomez family, Hey, I'm investing it for you. Yeah. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Don't yeah, I mean like he was very concerned. Yeah. Um, uh, and finally, uh, in regards to everybody wants to lump you in with the Jen Shaw case, you just will, you, you've tweeted about that, but you actually have no, you are not working on the Jen Shaw case, but that's an actual criminal case where a lot of people believe she will go to jail and it's different than the Erica Jane case in so many ways. Oh, much different. Cause Jen Shaw was running the fraud. She, her husband, oh, people, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. People always say, why don't you attack her husband? Well, one, he's not a public figure. He's not on a reality show, uh, really. He's not a paid talent on any show. And two, um, he, he wasn't running the operation. So, and he wasn't, I have no evidence that he was involved in any of her frauds uh, other than being her husband. And, and the difference is, is that, Jen Shaw is spending all the money on herself. So the, the fruits of the fraud went to Jen Shaw, where in the Girardi case, the fruits of Girardi's misdeeds apparently all went to Erica. I, I think she was the single big, biggest expenditure in their life and marriage was her. So um, that's the difference. Um, and, and also she wasn't in charge of, of, uh, of a telemarketing scheme, but it doesn't matter. They're different, honestly, different cases, different issues. But Jen Shaw, yeah, she has a horrible legal strategy. She got rid of her uh, large law firm. She's wasted a lot of money on loser motions that went nowhere. And now there's three defendants left. Everybody else is going to plead. And she's going to be stuck with a jury in the Southern District of New York. And she's looking at real time now, like a decade prison sentence. You know, it's, I, I don't know what she's doing. Well, and even and, and I don't even know what she's doing in terms of TV. That's what always shocks me with Erica Jane or Jen Shaw is the stuff that they'll like at, at a certain point, I would just want to hide away and just keep quiet until, you know, whatever is decided. But they're pushing full steam ahead uh, and saying some really outlandish, bizarre things, in my opinion. Um, and lastly, um, is there anything coming around the pike in this case 
that us, the audience is not aware of that you are potentially aware of that you're like, you, you know, you're going to see some stuff coming out pretty soon. That's really interesting. Is there stuff like that, that you're like, you know, things that are coming up. I know that might be a weird question. Uh, just, we got to get the pleading sent in our adversary case. And I'm going to focus on who's financing this for her or where is the money coming from? I mean, we'll find out, but again, we'll, we'll just see. It's a fluid process. So once I get it all teed up, I'll have a better idea. Well, I'm sure you're excited to watch the uh, the reunion in a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, when is that? Is that does that? Do we have a date for that yet? Yeah, Ryan, it's gonna, it's five weeks. Five weeks from now uh, will be the first of like the three part reunion. And Andy Cohen says she answered 98 percent of the questions asked. Which who? I mean, these could be all softball questions. I saw that you had asked a couple questions on Twitter, which uh, I, I found great. But um, this is really this is something that's really captivated our audience. Are these cases for you? Um, uh, this sounds so dark, but much more enjoyable than normal cases. I mean, is there more excitement uh, when it's involving TV and big personalities? Or for you, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's the law. It's justice. This is purely black and white for me. Uh, I mean, it, this, it, it's interesting, the component on this case. I, I, I don't, I, it's no different. All my files are important to me. I mean, I don't want any client in my office to think I care more about one versus the other. This just has a component which requires me to public res publicly respond to different things. That's all. Yeah. Well, Mr. Richards, this has been endlessly fascinating. Thank you so much for spending so much time. You really, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're, there's a podcast or something in your future because you have so many stories and we tip of the iceberg here. So thank you for spending so much time with us and we will be following you. You guys, I'm going to put all of his information, go follow his Twitter account. Uh, you know, sometimes he doesn't update for two days, but that's fine. And he's going to, uh, he's going to walk you through all of these things. And I think there's a, so much knowledge there as a housewives fan, as a law fan um so thank you so much uh thank you it was a great show and it's at ronald richards on twitter and at attorney ronald richards on instagram and i will uh, have a great day ryan talk to you soon Bye. five Bye. four three betches